Has the multi-site megachurch run its course, or is it just getting started? Is it helping more people in the church today, or is it hurting them instead? And perhaps the biggest question of all, is the multi-site megachurch the answer for the church in the future, or is it the beginning of the end? And no, these questions aren't just hyperbole. These are real questions that we're going to ask and answer on today's episode of the Church Disrupted Podcast. We're going to look at the good, the bad, and the ugly of the multi-site megachurch, especially right here in North America. So if you're interested in finding answers to those questions and more, this is the perfect episode for you. All right, guys, welcome back to the Church Disrupted Podcast with your host, Jeff Cochran. And uh, today we're going to do something we've never done before. Today's our first two-person episode. Uh, we actually had something come up. One of our pod hosts had to bail out. But Vicki May, you're with me. And today, Vicki and I are going to continue the conversation anyway, because this is such a good conversation. We don't want to wait to have it. We're being a little selfish. Uh, but we're going to try this whole two-person pod host thing out. Let us know if you like it. Let us know if you don't. But I'm really excited about this conversation. What are we talking about today? We're talking about, we're asking the question, is the multi-site megachurch a failed experiment? Is it failing or will it end in failure? There are good things about the multi-site megachurch. There are um, concerning things about the multi-site megachurch. We're going to talk about it all. Um, just what is it doing good, bad, ugly for Christianity? Um, going to be a fantastic conversation. You don't want to miss a moment of this one. But before we get rolling, want to thank everybody who has been supporting us. For those of you that are liking, sharing on social media, you're subscribing to the podcast we are so grateful for you. And we're grateful for every person who's a part of our community, from our disruptors, our catalysts, our table flippers. And we could not do this without you all. And I want to give a special thanks, special shout out. We've actually got some comfortable podcast chairs and everything now, Vicky, because of the generosity of just our community. You know, we got people who are going onto the website and they're just giving gifts, man. They're giving gifts for this stuff, for our wish list, for things that we need. They're making sure that we can keep going just by giving generously on That's PayPal, amazing. on and the, Venmo, Cash App. It's awesome. Thank you so much because the chairs feel nice. They do. They thank feel you. so much better. <laughs> um, but for every single person from, like I said, liking on social media to those that have given online, we are so grateful for you. We can never do this without you. And, and I just want to say we don't take it lightly. For every person, whether it's a gift of five bucks or 60 or a few hundred, it matters, and we're so grateful. And for those of you that can't give anything financially, don't feel called to do that, but you're supporting us on social media, you're watching the pod, we're grateful for you. Uh, let's go ahead, let's jump into the conversation today. Let's do it. Is the multi-site megachurch a failed experiment? And then, of course, all those other pieces of the question, mm, right? Heavy. So <laughs> the first thing we got to do, because some people aren't familiar with it, okay, let's talk about what is a megachurch, okay? Because if we don't know what a megachurch is, if we don't agree on what it is, um, then it's going to be a hard conversation to have. A megachurch is any church that averages 2,000 or more people in weekly attendance. So on any given week, they're going to have 2,000 or more people in worship attendance with them. That's a megachurch, okay? Um, there are thousands of megachurches today and mega churches are the growing segment. The churches that are growing, new churches that are starting, a lot of them are 
mega churches, right? Once you get out of the mega church, I know at least for Tennessee, the average church size that's not a mega church is 75, right? Really? So it's much, much smaller. And churches have traditionally been much smaller. The majority of churches, 80 plus percent, will never break the 200 person barrier, right? And I've been to a lot of churches, like 150, 200. But we're seeing more and more mega churches pop up every day. So it sounds like a good thing. We're going to wade into, is it a good thing or not? Mm-hmm. But a mega church, again, any church with 2,000 or more people in average weekly attendance. Let's talk about what's a multi-site church. If you're not familiar with that lingo, I know most of our listeners are. But if you're not, a multi-site church is simply a church with more than one campus or location. Think of a franchise model for a specific church. It's the same organization. Um, the locations, except for one, are usually um, streamed video teaching, right, mm-hmm. of the pastor at the main or broadcast location. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, the multi-site model is you have more than one location. Think franchise model for modern churches, okay? Now, the multi-site megachurch, which is what we're talking about here, these are mega churches of over 2,000 that are also multi-site. They have multiple locations, right? That's what they're doing. So when we talk about the multi-site megachurch, that's what we're talking about. More than one location, franchise model, 2,000 plus people. Um, the earliest me- megachurch um, and multi-site church that I could find was actually a church called Highland Park Baptist Church in Chattanooga. Um, in 1942, they were playing around with this idea. Of course, no video teaching. Um, the sites didn't all look the same, but it actually wasn't Vicky until um, the 80s and 90s, that this really started taking root. So so what do you think caused it to take root? Well, in the 80s and 90s, you had people like Bill Hybels, you had people who were coming on the back of the Jesus Revolution, everything else, right? You started having people trying out this idea of a seeker-sensitive church, okay, where it had more modern music, it was seeker-sensitive, you were to pushing say. people. Yeah, was the correlation of the new the new com- contemporary modern type con- yeah. Christian worship music that exactly. kind of correlated, and it just made sense. So yeah. Willow Creek in Chicago, they were really one of the yeah. first big mega churches like this, where it was like, hey, come as you are, mm-hmm. this is modern you know, music, and then it slowly started feeling like more of a concert. So people who had kind of written off church would come to this church and you could come to churches because it was different. Well, they were for the person who was seeking the person who didn't have a relationship with Christ, the person who wouldn't call themselves a Christian, the unchurched Um, as they were called. Yeah. You could come, you could check this out. You would enjoy it. And you get practical Christian teaching that would actually affect your life. It would positively help you even if you didn't believe yet. Now, those mega churches, a lot of them started tons of people came to be professing Christians came to faith because of those churches. Okay. So the, the late eighties, all throughout the nineties, mega churches are growing. You're finding more and more churches that are eclipsing that 2000 person mark. Now in the mid nineties, the multi-site church really started being born in the mid nineties. You had some churches like life church, the late nineties, um, life church, North point, um, in Georgia, there were these churches that were getting so big that one location was maxed out. It wasn't feasible to continue building or, you know, or adding on more so, multiple um, services. services. There were no more right. rooms for services, right? right? So when you're running like, you know, 12 services on a Sunday, there's no more room. Mm-hmm. Um, so they started experimenting. A, a few churches started experimenting with video teaching in its infancy with, you know, um, you know, with the internet, with recordings. A lot of different ways it was done. It's been done a lot of different ways over time. But this is super interesting to me, right? This is how fast the landscape of the American church has changed, okay? In 1999, how many multi-site churches do you think there were in the entire United States? 
Multi-site megachurches. In 1999. 1999. I'm going to say 10. Bingo. Right on. There were 10. There were literally 10. Okay. 10 multi-site megachurches in the U.S. in 1999. 10 in the entire country that had more than one site, this kind of franchise model. By 2014, which is the last year I can find good numbers on, I know it's bigger and it's grown since then. Like, I know it's grown tremendously. I just can't find numbers. By 2014, there were over 8,000 multi-site megachurches. Wow. 8,000 multi-site megachurches, churches that are averaging over 2,000 in attendance, usually at their broadcast campus, and then they're starting other campuses, other locations as they go. So whether you like it or whether you hate it, the multi-site megachurch has been on like an unprecedented growth, Gross. right? right. Um, from 1999 to 2014, and especially before COVID, even after COVID, these are the this has kind of been the strategy for a lot of churches to grow in their community. We're doing really well. Let's go to other communities, other part of our communities. Um, that was originally what it was. Let's just go to five miles down the street, 10 miles down the street to a neighboring county, neighboring city, something like that. Right. Now you have churches like Life Church that are nationwide. Over, right. They're in like 20 plus states, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know how many states uh, Life Church is in, but I know they're in a lot. So the not only have they grown, the multi-site megachurch model has been changing like crazy. And a lot of us, again, people who are watching, listening, those of us that are you know hosting, a lot of us have either been a part um, of working or attending um, a multi-site mega church, or you know, we at least know someone who is right. Maybe you still attend a multi-site mega church today. There are a lot of good ones out there. Okay, this podcast is not a blanket. We hate the multi-site mega church. Not that at all. Um, but I think it's pretty alarming that from in in 15 years we went from 10 multi-site mega churches to over 8,000, and I would say the numbers probably somewhere between. 10, 15,000 a day would be my guess. Um, there's no real good place. Nobody's done a recent study for us to have those numbers. Um, Lifeway research. Lifeway does a lot of research for especially kind of evangelical churches, right? Lifeway research actually put this out. Um, the multi-site model has been adopted by 70% or more of mega churches. So out of the churches that are over 2,000, 70% or more have adopted this multi-site, multi-campus franchise model where we're, you know, we're working in smaller buildings and maxing them out in services and then doing other buildings, right? Some of them are doing it because they're too big. It's the only way they can grow. Others are doing it as a way to grow, right? Which I think are two different approaches. Yes. Um, but that's where we're at today with the multi-site megachurch. So when you think about the multi-site megachurch, Vicky, what are some of the kind of words or thoughts that come to my mind? That come to mind if I can speak. Well, um, am I? It does it matter if it's positive or negative? No, because just, you could go in any direction. Yeah, words and phrases. Um, I think positively, words and phrases. You know, um, it, bigger can reach more, um, include more people, um, but it also can lose a lot of people. Yeah, disconnection. Um, there could be dis- disconnection, like true relationships. Are they existing? Mm-hmm. Um, lots of lots of volunteers. There's lots of volunteers needed. Yeah. How's that all working? Well, you have to have hundreds who's caring of thousands for who's of volunteers. Caring for who's caring for who's caring? Yeah. What person is caring for this person? To you know this group of this entity. This there's there's a lot of things yeah. that, that come to mind. So there's no way. 
to run a growing multi-site megachurch at a certain point without having hundreds, if not thousands of volunteers. Absolutely. So the question you're really asking is, how are they being cared for? How are they being cared for? Yeah. Or are they not? It's a good question. Yeah. I want to take just a few minutes out of the podcast episode to thank our podcast partners who help make this possible every single week. Rob Scott with the Forgiveness Link and Dustin Stitt with the East Tennessee Mentorship Association. They care deeply about you. They care about helping people transform their lives and find healing. And they get church hurt and spiritual abuse. I say that what Rob and his team at the Forgiveness Link do, I always say it's like mental health magic. Because in as little as eight sessions, and you heard me right, I'm not making that up. In as little as eight sessions, they can transform your life. They'll help you leave those triggers behind. They'll help you find healing. They'll help you take back control of your own life. And I know that because I've experienced it. They offer free consultations to Church Disrupted listeners. And if you like what you hear, move forward. They're going to give you a free session out of those eight as well. If you don't like what you hear, there are no strings attached. We only want you to be able to do what is going to help you heal. Uh, But a lot of our listeners say, you know what, Jeff, I don't really trust therapy. I'm not sure about all this mental health stuff. That stuff feels kind of soft to me. Well, if that's you, you can work with Dustin Stitt and the team at the East Tennessee Mentorship Association. They're going to walk with you at your own pace, but there's nothing soft about what they do. They're going to help you tackle these kind of issues. They're going to help you step into the best version of you and overcome those things that are holding you back. They get church hurt. They get spiritual abuse. But this is a veteran-owned business. These are guys who are going to get you. And again, They're not going to push you farther than you're ready, but they're not going to let you stay where you are. They're not going to let you stay stuck. I believe in both of these organizations. And here's what I would say. If you aren't in therapy, if you haven't taken a step to really take ownership and take back control of your own mental health, let me encourage you reach out to Rob and the team at the Forgiveness Link or Dustin and the team at East Tennessee Mentorship Association. Just schedule a free call. Just listen to what they have to say. If you don't like it, Man, you're, you're not committed to anything, but you owe it to yourself to see if just maybe they can actually be uh, the people that help you. And this can be the step that you can take to step into the best part of your life, to take back full control of your mental health and your experiences. So, hey, I trust them completely, and I think you're going to love them when you talk to them, too. You can find out more information about both businesses, about both organizations at disrupted.church on our partnership tab, or you can check out the links directly in the description on today's podcast episode. But Forgiveness Link and East Tennessee Mentorship Association, thank you so much for supporting our listeners and supporting the Church Disrupted podcast. Um, some of the the words and phrases, just thoughts, pictures that come to my mind. Um, you know, I'm thinking electric, electric. worship. Oh, sure, okay. The yeah. lights. The lights. I'm, I'm thinking about the uh, the fog, the haze, almost, whatever. It feels like a concert. Almost entertainment. Fantastic. Almost entertainment yeah. in a in a way. Yeah, but I'm not gonna lie. Worship feels fantastic. Sure, it's great. It's one of my favorite things yeah. to do, especially if it's done well. And right. you, know, you got some pipes on you. People well, don't know you. <laughs> if you've never heard Vicky sing, she is amazing. Well, thank you, right? Jeff. And I and yeah. I love to worship and love to lead worship. I love to just that because it feeds, you know, that's that's all the whole that is 
is a really wonderful thing when there is a big crowd, like a mega yeah. church, you know, if there's yeah. a big crowd of people and, and the spirit's moving and you feel it like this wave in the room, it's fantastic. Yeah. There's That's a great thing. Exactly. And, and I think one of the other things I think about is energy, and we'll get into this later, energy, but, I, but yes. I'll mention this. There's an incredible energy when yes. you feel like you're a part of something so much bigger, bigger than, than you, you. in a multi-site mega church. Uh, the one question I would ask, though, is sometimes people talk about the spirit moving, and I'm wondering, is are you feeling the spirit or are you feeling, are you feeling energy? energy? Yeah, right? well, that's valid. Are you feeling the spirit or did they turn that's the a- air conditioning down by a couple of degrees? <laughs> I'm, I, and- that's a legit way. I mean, you know, you know, throw that out there question. Yeah. And it's not one or the other. Right. But no. I think sometimes it can be the energy is fantastic. The energy is fantastic. It can be really easy to confuse that mm-hmm. energy with mm-hmm. the Holy Spirit moving. I'm thinking about charismatic pastors. I'm thinking about celebrity pastors. I'm mm-hmm. thinking about really good teaching. If you mm-hmm. want to find good teaching, go to a multi-site mega church because they're not going to grow that big without a really good teacher, someone who's entertaining. So when I say good teacher, some of our multi-site mega church pastors, they are, are phenomenal at handling the word. They're great theologians. Others, half the stuff that comes out of their mouth really concerns me, right? But that's going to be with any church. Sure. What you are going to get with a multi-site mega church is you're generally going to be entertained. It's not going to be boring when you come into the teaching. True, but there's also the sense that... Um, are they the ones that actually, you know, is it their words or is it Are they the ones else's? that write their own sermons? Right. Well, I... <laughs> because if you become so big, I mean, that's probably a whole nother oh. podcast topic, but... It is. And, yeah. and we, can, we can talk about it. So let's put a pin yeah. in it and let's put come back to it because we're just talking about yeah. it right now. But I will say before we get back to it, all of these multi-site mega churches are going to have good preaching and a good speaker. Sure. There are quite a few that don't write their own sermons, but what they do is they're good at delivering. They're good at sermon. delivery. And look, and that's for, the point. for some people that'll bother you, others it won't. That's kind of up to you. So we'll talk about it more in a minute. Um, but I, I'm thinking about, again, is that, that celebrity pastor or that charismatic pastor, very gifted, great teacher. It's going to be exciting, the message. It's going to be practical. Mm-hmm. Like you're going to have stuff to take home. So we're not talking about the tabernacle. We're not talking about the feast all day. We're not talking about a bunch of heavy theological stuff that may lose people. It's going to be exciting and it's going to be practical, right? Yeah. You've got the energy in the room we've already talked about. Um, the energy usually starts in the parking lot. Like when you pull up to yes. a multi-site megachurch, you feel like you're a part of something special. That was the other thing I was going to talk about because you were thinking about buzzwords and I was I was kind of all over the place when you first asked, but it's like, um, I also see aesthetically pleasing things. So I'm a visual yeah. art teacher. And so I am drawn to color and graphics and logos. And those are all there. Yeah. A, a, a mega church, a multi-site mega church is definitely going to have all of those It's going to be sharp. Yes. It's going to be sharp. It's yes. going to... Clean, crisp, yeah. eye-catching, bold. It's It's got a nice well, graphic that's memorable. That's memorable. Yeah. Easy to see. Easy to define. Yeah. yeah. Some multi-site mega churches do kind of the graphics and the aesthetics and just the feel mm-hmm. of the of the location of the environment. Yep. It actually feels and looks better than huge businesses. I agreed. They're and it's really, really good at and it. it's very um I mean it, it it starts in the parking lot with banners. Everything's on brand. Some uh, everybody's on brand vests that the parking attendants or you know vols are working and signs that are welcoming you, yes, smiling and, faces. And it's awesome. When you go to the coffee bar and whatever, yeah, it's it's in the bathroom. The free with gift the mints. you're getting is branded with a you know a shirt that you have to decide whether you want to be a walking billboard or not. But the shirt looks cool or the it's coffee mug. Or, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> but no, so it looks good. And I'll tell you this, like, and I, I think uh, Sean and I actually talked about it on a previous episode for a minute. But a lot of multi site mega churches now. Out, kind of one of the things they're doing is they're even getting a smell 
right? And the yes. smell is, so is, it doesn't matter what location you walk into. It looks good. It feels good. It smells good. Now, here are some of the negative things I'm thinking about, though. I'm thinking anonymous, which can be good or bad, right? Right. Um, there are seasons in my life where I wanted to be anonymous in church. Right. You want to step in the door and you want to be able to experience without, you know, any kind of preconceived. Yeah. I don't or, want to talk to 80 people. I don't want to talk to a thousand people. Yeah. I just need to come in and get, get some feeding into yeah. my soul. Yeah. But- Mm-hmm. The downside of anonymous is it's sometimes hard to actually ever become anything but anonymous. Right. It's hard because to connect. Because you're in a sea of people. Right. That's yeah. right. Difficult connection. Um, yeah. I'm thinking lack of discipleship. Yes. Because the more people you have, the quicker you're putting people into leadership roles. Like, Absolutely. You know, um, the bigger you are, the more small group leaders you're looking for. And the small group leaders may not have been discipled enough yet to disciple someone else. Right. right. Um, I think... Lack of pastoral care. And again, this isn't for all of them, but um, it is really hard to get good pastoral care in a multi-site megachurch because they're running really lean on staff members. If you have one staff member for every 500 to 1,000 people, you can't care for them without volunteers. And I don't care how good a volunteer is. I don't care how much they love Jesus. The average layperson, they're not trauma-informed. They don't have any sort of counseling training. They don't know how to do pastoral care, especially if it's coming to like hospital visits or somebody may be dying, like all of those sort of things. Someone's going through a heavy divorce. Well, you can give them advice because you maybe you went through a divorce, but do you know how to actually walk them through the ups and downs of that? Not being black and white of what, you know, what does just the Bible say about divorce, you know, but being able to walk them through those emotions without training, that can be really difficult. Right. Not all, I mean, you're putting a big burden on the people you're asking yeah. to take on those roles. And and when you become a member of the church and you're like, I, I, there's big stress to get involved because they need you involved immediately because they're counting on you. Because like you said, yeah. a, a staff, there's only so many staff. And so you're like, oh, well, I'm supposed to do this. I'm, I, I need to do this. I'm not going to yeah. be a part of this church if I don't do this. I'm supposed to sign up for all these things and I've got to find my place. And I, and there's a lot of pressure. Yeah. And But then, but where did the training and care structure happen yeah. instead of just being thrown well, a in? A lot of there, times right? they need you so much that you're in quick. So the good news is you feel wanted. Absolutely. You feel valued. Sure, that's you feel a great needed. Thing. You're like, oh, I can make a difference. I can be included in here. Sure. Yeah. And all of us want to feel needed. So that's fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you get in and you're not trained, you're excited to jump in. And it's normally a while before you realize I don't have all the resources that I need. Um, so one, it's it, it can feel really bad when you're in a situation where you don't feel like you're equipped. And two, uh, we talked about this on the podcast a lot. A lot of volunteers are burning out because they're giving way more than they ever needed to give. These are people with families and full-time jobs and all those things, right? Correct. And I know every time we talk about this, I'm going to have somebody on social media who's like, well, if you're not willing to give up everything to follow Jesus, you're not willing to, you know, to, to follow him. You're, you're, you're not really, really invested with Jesus, right? You're not worthy to follow him. So that's just the issue. Or these people aren't equally yoked or everybody isn't willing to give everything to Jesus. Guys, it doesn't matter how bought in you are to Jesus. Jesus's plan was not for you to spend 40 to 80 hours at your church. His plan was for you to spend time outside the church with people who don't know him, with people who are hurting, right? So at some point, there's a problem. There is too much. It doesn't matter how much good you're doing. There's too much. Uh, at some point, you're volunteering too much, I guess. I'm not saying that really well. Um, and I know there are people you're listening that you, you get mad every time we talk about it because you love volunteering at your church. 
I love that you love volunteering at your church, but you need to be outside of those walls more than you're inside of those walls. And wherever you draw the line, there is such a thing as volunteering too much. Okay. So don't at me, don't comment at us and tell us that, you know, that there's not such a thing as serving too much and people who, you know, get upset or feel like they're burnout just don't love Jesus enough. That's right. ridiculous. Well, it is ridiculous. And I mean, I can speak from experience. Um, I loved serving, but I got to a point where it was like when I finally started backing away from some of those roles, I was like, oh my gosh, I have time to do these other things that I haven't had time to do, or I can actually relax at home with my husband and spend time with my family. Or you can actually go to the gym and take care of your health. Well, that's what I'm saying. Like take care of myself instead of just being busy, busy, busy. So there have been a lot of times um, in you know my history with the church. There have been a whole lot of times where my only friends were people who attended that church. And uh, you know, Candace and I used to say it. You know, we used to think it was funny, but it was basically if you don't volunteer in our ministry and go to our church, we can't be friends with. We you. can't be right? friends. And we weren't trying to be jerks, but like no, right. Candace would tell people all the time, she would just say, "We don't have time. We don't have time. We won't um, see you unless you want to volunteer with us." Now I look back on that and I think about leaving churches for other churches and then just stopping talking to those friends that mattered so much to me because we weren't in close proximity, you know, I think that's, I think that's dangerous. I think yeah. there's a danger there. Yeah. Um, but no, so I think a lot of the the negatives I'm thinking about people. Um, I'm also thinking with a the negative, there's the good to the polish and the branding we were talking about earlier, but sometimes it's so polished that it's easier to feel like things are being faked or that things are being scripted, that it's more of a performance, right? Um, Which can bother people sometimes. So uh, a lot of the negatives are actually other sides of the good, right? Mm -hmm. And that's kind Mm -hmm. of the tension that we have to hold. So when we're thinking about the multi-site megachurch, this is huge, fast-growing segment. There's you know one in every city, just about. There's probably multiples in every city. Um, In July of 2023... NPR released an article and here was the title though. And I think this is, this is something we have to talk about. It's concerning either way. The title was this mega churches are getting even bigger as churches close across the country. And they talked about smaller churches and that 75, 200, 500 range. They're closing. Your normal size churches are closing at a alarming rate. Okay. Mega churches and multi-site churches are growing. And part of what they talked about though a lot of these churches are closing because when they're struggling and they're struggling financially, multi-site mega churches will come along and say, Hey, we'll buy your building. We'll take care of that financial struggle. We'll have a merger because we need your building and you need people. But what's happening though, is with every given week, every given month, there are less and less what we would call normal life-giving church communities. So there are less options with every passing week for people who don't feel like the multi-site mega church is right for them. And what I wonder, you know, I, I have this, this question, what's going to happen when most churches are mega churches or multi-site churches, right? What's going to happen when there's no small or normal sized church to go to, or if there was no smaller or normal sized church to go to, to find refuge in, could the multi-site mega church by itself actually support and sustain all these people? And I don't know if it can, because I know a whole lot of people who left very traumatized or hurt from their experience in the multi-site mega church, and it, they found healing at a small church, a 200-member or less church. But if there's less of those, then what's going to happen yeah. when the people keep leaving? It's kind of a scary thought to think about. I mean, um, are people going to give up church altogether? Yeah. Or are they going to, like, I think you brought this up earlier, leave the Christian faith, which is definitely devastating. Yeah. Well, you, we, you know, 
Well, if you've been through significant religious trauma and like, cause you and I both experienced this, if all you've known is the mega church, you loved it, but then you go through a traumatic experience or you're spiritually abused, you leave and your only options are other mega churches, even if they're not as big or the same, there's so many triggers that make it hard. All of a sudden things I'm you loved that make it hard to worship. It Correct. is hard to worship in a and mega tried, church after you've left one. I have, and I've tried to visit other churches so far and, um, I do enjoy visiting, but then at the same time I am triggered mm-hmm. and. And um, it, it is hard. It's like, I don't want to, I don't want any part of this right now. I need a break. And so. Well, you just get so distracted by the things that are going on. Because you're like, oh, that makes yeah. me think of so-and-so. Or you're that feeling makes me those things of, all over again. Yeah. You can't think about Jesus. You can't right. really worship. Right. I'm you're not majorly free. distracted. Yeah, absolutely. And that, that is yeah. a problem. And so being at home and, and because thankfully I may have given up on people in the church, but yeah. I've not given up on God. Yeah. But and you've not given people, up on the church and the people. You've no, given the, up on the church people. is still because the church is not a building. It's supposed to be us people, yeah. right? It, yeah. We don't have to be in a certain smelling looking <laughs> presented. You don't even have to have a glittery, building. lots of light entertainment building for it to be called a church. Or same regard, a, a little small church with a steeple on the little corner in near your neighborhood. Yeah. Um, it is a church, and it is, but it's also a building. Yeah. Um. So, you know, I'm I'm just thankful that I'm I'm still in a place where I, I of course I'm not giving up on God, but um some people will. Yeah. If well, they've been hurt and traumatized and this has been maybe this has been their only experience. They came to church because it yeah. seemed like something they were willing to try, which is it great. Was fun. Which it was is high a, energy. Right. They were needed. This the show di- was fantastic. This is different and that's a great thing. Let's bring in people because you know, this has given them a new experience. But do you keep them? Yeah. Well, and so if you do lose them and that's been their only experience. Where do they go? Where do they go? What do they do? Right? Do they even know what to look for in a church? Right? Can they find a place if where they were so disconnected? Who who could they turn to? Yeah. So, and I think about this. You know, one of the best things about the multi site mega church is there's there's a lot of times it's a great show that draws people in. You know the the lights the 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 haze. You know the old saying more haze more praise. Right? I don't really know that the haze affects the praise. Hate that fog machine. Hate but, that fog machine. So you got the lights. You got the praise. It is a great show. But I can't tell you, you know, I've been at multiple churches where it's like, hey, we got the best show in town or that church is growing because they got the best show in town. Show. Now, that's going to make some of you cringe. Others of you are fine. But wherever you land, there's nothing wrong with the church having a good presentation. show presentation if it's authentic. Sure. Show makes it feel like it's not authentic. I'm not putting those words in people's mouths. That's what I've heard time and time again. But if you have the best show in town, but people get hurt at the place with the best show in town... When you no longer feel comfortable at the big show, where do you go? Especially if you've not ever been in another church, because being a part of a smaller church and being known in community is, it's just different, right? And again, this isn't my question. I didn't ask this question. This question was asked by a recent NPR article, right? That they're asking these questions, okay? Is it a good thing that mega churches are getting bigger and bigger and bigger while other churches close across the country? On one hand, a lot of churches are you know, growing and people are coming in. On the other hand, churches are closing down. Here's where I think we start finding a little bit of an answer. And we're not going for answers today. We're just trying to have this conversation because mm-hmm. I think it's important. I definitely don't have all the answers. <laughs> all of the statistics. So if you look at like the stuff that's coming out of Barna Group, you look at the stuff that's coming out of Lifeway Research, right? You, you look at all of it. Gallup, all of the, st- the statistics tell us that the religious landscape in America 
that people are leaving Christianity more and more with every given year. Christianity is leaking. Okay. It is leaking. It's not growing. It's leaking overall. Okay. And there was a, for a long time, Christianity was growing year over year over year, or, and then it was holding steady, right? It's not holding steady, especially as we look at like Gen Z, you know, um, your younger millennials, um, Gen Alpha that's coming after Gen Z, more and more people with every year are leaving the faith, not the church. They're leaving the faith. Um, and I wonder, is that tied to as the mega churches are growing, right? And other churches are closing. Is that part of the reason why people are leaving the faith? Um, because I also know this from being a pastor at a multi-site mega church, a ton of the growth that's experienced, not all of it. There's a whole lot of people who were saved, who are, are seekers, who have, you know, they don't have a relationship with God. They don't have faith at all when they come in. But I would say a massive amount of the growth is actually transfer growth. It comes from people come from other churches that didn't have the show or didn't have all the programs or didn't have all the things, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So you're growing, but just because you're growing doesn't mean you're healthy. And just because you're growing doesn't mean things are good. But a lot of people are leaving these smaller churches, I believe, from my experience. And again, this is my experience. You don't have to agree with it. Um, but first of all, unless you pastored in a multi-site mega church, it's going to be hard for you to really talk about this the same way, right? Um, you can have an opinion, but it's going to be hard for us to talk about that the same way. From my experience, I've seen a lot of transfer growth. I've seen a lot of people, new people who come in but don't stay. So what I'm wondering is how many people are leaving? Because I've heard this time and time and time again. How many people are leaving the smaller church down the street because of all the resources the bigger church has to offer, right? And these smaller churches are closing down. They're selling buildings to the mega church, not because their people left the faith, but because their people went to the mega church down the street, right? So are these churches dying because no one wants to come to them or are they literally being cannibalized by the multi-site mega church. And even though the multi-site mega church is growing across the country, how much of that growth is transfer growth from other Christians versus how much of it is really growth from new Christians? Because here's the question we get asked, okay? If it's a lot of growth, Vicky, yeah. from brand new people who weren't Christ followers and now they are. And multi-site mega churches are the ones growing across the country, right? All the other churches are declining. If that's the case and a whole lot of people are coming to faith, then why is Christianity leaking? Why are more people leaving the faith? Are some of those new people who are coming in actually, are they like the, you know, the parable of the sower and the seeds? Are they withering and leaving the faith before they really engage? Are there people who were engaged in the church who were just walking away? Something's happening because all of these churches can't be growing and people be leaving the faith. And I know as many people leaving the faith from multi-site mega churches as I do from small churches, actually. And again, part of this is just because of my background. So I'm not saying this is everybody, but I know of significantly more people who are leaving the faith or they're not leaving the faith, but they're struggling to go back to church who have left a multi-site mega church. than I do just kind of your average hundred to 200 member church, right? So Again, it just makes me wonder if some of these growth metrics that we think make us look healthy, I wonder if some of them are false positives mm. that one day we're going to realize that they actually made us feel more secure about the faith landscape in America than we should have been. Well, I'm wondering, are they, are, are these mega churches, multi-site churches, are they, are, you know, they track a lot of things. Yeah. But are they paying attention to the people that are leaving? Um, yeah, and, sure. and if, and if they are. Are they being true and asking, you know, being bold and asking, well, why, 
why are you leaving? Why did yeah. you leave? You know, did you leave because of offense? Did you leave because you weren't connecting? Yep. What is the reason that you're leaving? Yep. And so, because we, sh- we, if not, they should be, because that is a huge concern. If we're going to, if you're going to take on the, uh, you know, the big, big church model. Uh, model, yeah, then you need to make sure you can sustain that yeah. and that means well not that you, you need can sustain to, that that well, you can just, support those people that's what i was saying yeah. is you sustain that in that you have to care for the people that are coming in your door not just yeah. because they're coming in your door and they're giving you money and they're and they're volunteering in your volunteer roles are you caring for those people because obviously yeah. they're coming but they're also leaving yeah something's happening something's Somewhere. going on something yeah and, and the majority of the people the majority of christians right now are in multi-site mega churches so we have to ask that question you can look like your church is growing you can look like everything is up into the right it can feel good and in reality people be hemorrhaging out the back door but we're going to talk about that in just a couple of minutes i want to put a pin in that because i want to talk about some other stuff before we get there but again i thought that was a really valid question it is and it's a question that honestly i i found out was being asked by people who are outside the church first right um but let's think about this so we're talking about how many uh multi-site mega churches there are in the country there are thousands I want to give you an idea of the scale, though, right? Because you you may be a part of a multi-site mega church, and that means you're at a church of 2,500, okay, with two locations. You may be at a church that's got, you know, 20,000, you know, and 20 locations, right? Um, I want to give you the Outreach.com top 100 largest churches in 2022. They haven't done the 2023 yet, as far as I know. So this is the last survey that they did. When you look at that top 100 list of the largest churches in America— the top 16, okay? The top 16 are all averaging over 20,000 people a week. Wow. That's a lot. That's a lot of people. And if you're like, if you look at it as, hey, that's a lot of people following Jesus and growing and coming to Christ, that's a great number. That's awesome, man. Let's celebrate. Um, If you're looking at it and you're saying, how in the world do you care for and disciple 20,000 people? in one organization. And that's scary. It's a little more scary. Yeah. Right. Um, but either way, regardless of where you land on this, the fact that the top 16 are all over 20,000 is it's huge. It's massive. The first 62 on the list are all over 10,000. So we're talking massive, massive churches. And a lot of multi-site mega churches aren't this big, but they aspire to be that big. And they're learning from the churches that are on the top 62 of this list. They're learning from the churches on the top 16, 15, 10 on this list. So let's just talk about them real quick. Um, because there are, you know, there are a lot of us that don't realize how big these churches are and how many of these big churches there are. So um, dream city church in Arizona, they come in at 16, 20,000. Bayside Church in California, 20,000 people each week. Um, Gateway Church in Texas, 20,500. Mount Zion Baptist Church in Nashville, Tennessee, 21,000. Let's just stop right there. We're four in. This bothers me. The amount of churches in the top 100 list that give round, even numbers. Think about the first, the first few. I'm not attacking any of these churches, but you just notice this. 20,000, 20,000, 20,500, 21,000. Are you legitimately telling me? Are you rounding up? Four churches in a row have even nice, neat numbers. Okay, well, that's part of the problem. 
because numbers matter so much in these churches and wanting to get on lists and everything else. And the way we count, again, there's nothing wrong with counting. There's nothing wrong with having a big, big church, but there's a moniker that's known amongst like church staff and church volunteers. Um, there's a phrase that we use called pastor math. Pastor. And pastor math is a fancy phrase. Vicki, have you heard about pastor math? I have not. Okay. So we talk about pastor math all the time. You'd get numbers and you'd go, there's no way that can be true. And a group of people, like I said, volunteers and pastors would just start laughing. They go, well, that's pastor math, right? Um, I once worked for a pastor that whatever number he said on stage, the rest of the staff was like, that's not even close. We think he did it on accident. We're not sure. But pastor math, pastor math is we're counting the room, right? We're counting the room. And um, let's just think about a small church. You know, your, your, your ushers are counting and they count, you know, 172 people. So right? they're going to round to yeah, 180? 172 people. And then the pastor is like, well, I'm, sh- I'm there are like 17 people that I think you didn't see. Mm-hmm. And then this excuse, that excuse. And before you know it, it's, it's at least 200. 200. We're 200. at 200. There's a big difference in 200 people and 172 people, right? Mm-hmm. So like I was sharing podcast numbers with you guys um, a little bit ago, and I shared them on the Discord with uh, part of our community and the podcast host. Did you notice that when I shared, like I was talking about like, you know, hundreds of thousands I shared it down to the number. It was an odd number. It was weird. Well, that's that's how you count, right? That was just counting them up. It's the math I learned in school. It feels like there's a lot of rounding going on. Yeah. Maybe they don't have a problem with the rounding. It feels like there's a lot of pastor math Maybe. going on Maybe. when the first few, and you're going to see the majority on this list, are round even nice numbers. Okay. I, all I'm saying, Vicki, it makes me wonder if I can trust it. Um, I'll tell you this. This, this is crazy. Um, this is, I don't know if this is a good story or a bad story, but I think it's funny. Um, I was talking to a pastor friend. It was probably about a year and a half ago. We were leaving an event. Somebody gave a number. Um, and then somebody else said, I don't think that was right. And we all just started laughing and he said, ah, oh, you know how it goes. And I, and man, I yelled at my pastor friend. I said, Hey man, that's pastor math. <laughs> and he goes, yeah, it is pastor math, but come on, man, there's nothing wrong with pastor math. It just is how it is. And I stopped in the middle of this group of people, made everybody feel uncomfortable because I said, well, actually, pastor math is a fancy way for just saying we lied. We lied. We don't want to say we lied. Everybody stopped. Nobody knew whether they should laugh or not because it was funny. But at the same time, it's like, dang. We, we, we are, are lying, lying, right? And we're pastors and we yeah. shouldn't be lying. Yeah. And, and I, so we, we eventually started laughing about it again, though. And I said, here's the deal, though. I said, pastors shouldn't be the ones that are always lying about the numbers. That feels wrong, right? But it's true. Well, yeah. Okay. I can think of look. I remember when I used to attend a small church in my hometown many years ago. And yeah, um, they had the little board in the back above where you could see um, exactly past how many the choir, people attended. And you could see exactly how many attended last Sunday and how many were attending that Sunday. Yeah. And it was usually like two to three digits. 101 yeah. or 93. It was never even. Or 52. Right. How many times do you remember it being even, right? Never. So again, this isn't a huge deal, you know, but I think it's something to say, hey, It should be bothersome how many churches on this top 100 list gave even numbers, because what it tells me is one of two things. Okay, and again, there are going to be some people who say, hey, you're focusing on the wrong thing. But when you have in this 100 largest churches list, the amount of them that gave even numbers, it tells me that either they're lying or rounding on their numbers or um, they're just being lazy. Right. about their numbers. Both of those, I think, have a negative connotation for churches. I, I think as churches, we could be better. But let's keep going. All right. So we got through the first four. Um, the last one, Mount Zion Baptist Church at 21,000. 
Central Christian in Nevada, 21,055. That's the least round number. All right, so I feel better about that. Um, Fellowship Church in Texas, I love this, 24,162. I think that's way too big, but it's a real number. It's a real number. <laughs> it's a real number, okay? Um, North Point Ministries in Georgia, 24,273. Again, we got a couple of real numbers, and I love it. But then we come to Christ Fellowship in Florida, 25,000. One, 25,000 is a massive number. And two, how are you telling me you got 25,000? You're averaging 25,000 on the dot every week, no more, no less. It still bothers me, right? Southeast Christian in Kentucky, um, 25,917. Okay, Elevation Church, 26,000. Big numbers, about half of them are more rounded numbers. Saddleback, 28,000. Christ Church of the Valley, another good number. This is a real number, 30,482. Okay. Uh, pastors who are watching, if you just want to trick us and you want to like pastor math and lie, just give a number that's not even and we'll at least think it's well, probably we'll true. Do, we'll yeah, believe it's better than everybody else. Okay. Better than half the people already. Uh, Christ Church of the Valley, though, 30,482 every week. Crossroads Church in Ohio, 35,253 every week. These numbers are getting massive. Listen to these last three. Okay. And there are always churches that are huge that don't get on the list on certain years because they just don't send in their paperwork. So I'm sure there's some we're missing. Lakewood Church in Texas, Joel Osteen's church, 45,000 people a week. Again, awesome if people are coming to Jesus. How can you care for 40,000 no, people? It's mind boggling. Yes. 45,000 people a week. How are you discipling 45,000 people? How are you caring for that? It's can, I, can I give you another way to think about this that's even more crazy? Okay. Because this is how we thought about it. In the multi site mega church, the last staff I was on, this is how we were taught to think about it. Okay. Um, and it's good thinking, but it's going to open your mind even more. If there are 45,000 people coming every week and we know that the average person comes to church once a month, roughly, then actually the amount of people that Lakewood, that call Lakewood home is probably about 180,000. Wow. Because again, the average person's going to church one or two times a month. It's actually, I think like one and a half or something like that. Okay. So if that's the case, as big as these numbers are, it's actually way more people who are connected to this church and calling it home because I can tell you from from I can tell you from talking to pastors, from looking at the numbers, from church consulting all over the country. Okay, what you're averaging weekly, and that's what this is, what you're averaging weekly is a small percentage of the people you actually have in church. And now because this people is, are busy. They're are, so busy today. Are they counting online? As well, like online. Some of them count online. Some of them don't. Uh, some churches uh, count online just as how many viewers we had. Uh, most churches are going to count three second views. So if we had, if they were on for three seconds, then they, they attended count. church that day. Um, three seconds is a little rough to attend church, right? I would like to see, you know, like a how many people were actually there for ten minutes, right? Ten minutes, thirty um, minutes. This is going to bother some people. Other people, it won't bother. Uh, but just peeking behind the curtain for a minute. The majority of mega churches use what's called a multiplier um, when you're looking at online numbers. Um, so, and again, there's a reason for this, but they're saying most people who are watching on a Sunday that they don't believe that that's one person is probably like a family or at least a couple. So they'll do a multiplier of two or 2.5. That's kind of the most average, two or mm -hmm. 2.5. Minimums usually 1.5. But even with that, a lot of these churches um, still don't count online numbers or they're not, they're not huge. Um, but even if you take out the online numbers, if you're thinking about these weekly numbers and then the amount of people who are coming in, um, you know, once or twice a month, the numbers are still even bigger than what we're talking about. Okay. Yeah. 
Lakewood's at 45,000. Here are the top two on the list. You may know them, you may not. Coming at number two, Church of the Highlands out of Birmingham, Alabama, campuses all over Alabama, 60,000 people a week. Wow. Okay. One, again, it's massive. I've got a lot of questions about it. Two, I don't buy for one minute that it's 60,000. <laughs> What's the actual number? Are we rounding up? Are we rounded down? Are we guessing, right? But what they're telling us is 60,000. So again, if the average person's coming twice a month, that's 120,000. And twice a month is higher than most churches that I've been at, that I've consulted with, that I've worked um, at. And then the number one church on that list, okay? And I don't know, I may have told you this already, so if I did, let me know if you remember it. But if you don't remember it, I'd love for you to guess, Vicky. how many people do you think attend weekly at the largest church in America, Life Church in Oklahoma? Um, I don't think you did tell me. Life Church, let's see. Remember, Church of the Highlands was 60,000. 60,000, so it has to be more than that. Yep. Um, 85. Okay. I've had to have told you because no. you're not guessing both of really? them in one day. No, seriously. That's right on. I told you that right my on. brain is not good with numbers. But so you I'm... guessed 10 earlier. Okay. No, I, I'm just, so... I'm a good guesser today. All right. So may, maybe, maybe I told you for maybe real. You I don't did. know. I don't know. Maybe I don't but remember. You're spot on 85,000 people. 85, and again, 000. that's across multiple states. Started in Oklahoma. Most of their campuses are in Oklahoma. But, um, I and didn't again, think there were that many I people like Life Church. I like Craig Groeschel. I love that man. They they're the ones that started the Bible app. They give away so much for free. Oh, yeah, that's right. There is so much good from this church. So much good ministry they sure. do. Um, pretty much, if you watch a church online at this point, it's because uh, Life Church has given away their free online platform. Okay? Oh, that's now, fantastic. It, it's awesome. So I'm not bagging on Life Church just because they're big. What I am saying though, they're the biggest church in America at this point at eighty five thousand people a week. Which again, if we play that out between every uh, church members attending on average every you know one time a month mm-hmm. or two times a month, mm-hmm. you play that out. I'm really bad at math, but that's like anywhere between 170 and like 320, 330 thousand people that they're reaching. Mm. Okay, um, a lot of people are going online. If you're going online, you don't go every week. You have totally different people going online. I think these numbers. The people who are connected to these churches, I think these numbers would blow our absolute minds if we actually could see, you just count once, whether you come four times or you come one time a month. If we could see the actual people connected to these churches that call them their churches, I I honestly think it would be scary a little There's bit. There's a lot more. And um, a big chunk of those are going to be volunteers. Yeah, yeah. Because they're going to be attending even more than twice a yeah. month. Usually every Sunday. Yeah. But if the average if the average is a person's attending once a week and you're counting those volunteers that are there more often than that than what it or once a month, what it may actually mean is that some people are calling it church but they're coming less than once a month, right? True. True. Regardless though, these numbers as massive as they already are, the truth is they're actually probably a lot bigger, even mm-hmm. the pastor math and stuff, because we're talking about pastor math, rounding up all the things. The reason why they're bigger is because that's a weekly number. Right. Right. Um, An average. Yeah. But I, I want you to think about this. Right. I want you to think about this. 62. That's the top 16. Mm-hmm. The top 62, like we said, are all over 10,000. All over 10,000 people. You talk about locations, just the top two. Life Church, by my count, has 45 locations on their website right now. Okay, now I'm not great at math. I might have missed one or two. Um, I might have counted one or two twice, but I counted 45 locations. Church of the Highlands, 23. 
23. Okay. So you got all these locations, you got all of these people. Um, what that's telling me too, though, is I know like at some of these broadcast campuses, like at Life Church, you may have at a broadcast campus 10, 15,000 people going at that initial campus, right? The campuses that are close to it may have a lot. If you do the math, 85,000 divided by 45, you end up with most of these campuses are averaging under 2,000 people a week, okay? Um, they're almost mega churches on their own, but there's a significant discrepancy between the broadcast campus, right, and these other churches. Um, and when you add those big campuses in, what that tells me is a lot of these campuses, they're not huge. They're small. That could be a good thing because maybe people are getting discipled better. Right. But it also tells me that it feels like there's a law of diminishing returns, that the more campuses we have, yes, we're reaching more people. Mm -hmm. But the more campuses we have, the smaller those campuses seem to be getting, which makes me wonder, is it really the best move to be planting new campuses or would it be the best move at some point to say, hey, diminishing returns, we're going to train pastors and we're going to plant new churches? Right. Autonomous churches that don't have video teaching, that aren't just doing everything the same way. Because I'll tell you, working in the multi-site megachurch, most of the time it didn't matter, especially like when we were doing student ministry and stuff. It didn't matter that our communities were different and that the people that were coming were different. We did everything the same way. The same. It is a cookie cutter, um, clunk, yeah. clunk, clunk, place here, place here, do this, do that, do Which it Which is great way. if you're Chick-fil-A or McDonald's yeah. because I want it to be the same everywhere yeah. I go. I'm but, not sure it works for discipleship when people and communities are so different. Correct. I'm wondering about that too um, because I have volunteered in at multi-sites and each campus is different. Yeah. Now, very. it looks the same, mostly sounds the same, um, but the people are not necessarily the same. The preaching's the same. But and, the preaching's the same. Not yep. only is the preaching the same on video, but the preaching's getting very similar because I know over time it was trending more toward you almost have a preaching script Correct. that everyone's going to go off of. Yeah. The worship's the same. How long you're spending in. Um, honestly, and, and this is going to bother some people. They may not believe it, but I think it's worth talking about. Um, this is not, I have both seen this and I have experiences working in it. Sometimes down to the hosting and the prayers and the salvation prayer and everything else, it is scripted and it's on a teleprompter. So it's not authentic. It's well, not It feels real. authentic because when I'm looking at that camera, even at, even at a broadcast campus, when I'm looking at that camera and you're looking at me on the screen. Cause that's how most people are watching it. I'm making eye contact with you because I'm taught to look at the camera. And when I look at the camera, I'm making eye contact. I switch from camera to camera to camera. So you see me moving, but I'm always making eye contact. But when you look behind you, there's a teleprompter that a lot of churches is going word for word right above that camera. And when you look at it, sometimes there's a person hosting or they're getting ready to pray and they say, you know what? I've just been really burdened for you this week. Well, were you really burdened when everybody had to read that line? Okay. And then it'll say, uh, let me tell you a story about what I've seen God doing in my community lately. Parentheses on the teleprompter, insert so, personal story here. That's local. That's to the community. Yeah. Right. But that's all you're doing. So mm -hmm. uh, literally down to like hosting and announcements, everything is said the same. And again, there's a lot of good to that, but you've seen how different the communities are sometimes just 20, 30 minutes away. I think people need to be talked to a little different 
Mm-hmm. Um, and especially when it comes to, this is just my opinion. When it comes to things like prayers and sermons, I don't want somebody preaching to me who is reading a script. Correct. Because I don't if you're reading it. a script, in my opinion, that becomes performing and not preaching. And I want someone who's going to preach and who's going to authentically share what God has given them, not someone who is going to perform off of a script. Well, and same with worship. So there, there's a fine line between it being... It's very practiced and polished mm-hmm. and it being authentic. Um, of course, you don't want it to be distracting yeah. for people to be able to connect to Jesus. And that's important. That's an important yeah. thing. But I've, I mean, when you take it and it's the same thing at each campus, but each campus has got different people in the con- congregation. Um, are you allowing things to naturally, tr- you know, transpire but they, they can't but naturally. You can't Do because you know why? We're, because we're in a time we're in a time limit. Everything has to be done at a certain time. You have and we to have turn to turn the service over right, every fifty to, minutes, right? And you have to transition to the next thing because we've got announcements and we've got to talk about this video, and then we've got to show the video, and then we go to the sermon, and then we might bring you back out and sing another song and to if take we're up the title. Live streaming, we can't have half the campuses joining us. We can't have every campus joining us in different places because people ended different. So now your worship's on a click track and it doesn't matter what you feel happening. You can't do anything else because we're synced up down to the second. To the second. And they would try and say, hey, during this worship moment, being a being a worship leader, um, I was asked to be like, hey, I want you to talk about this particular scripture because that's sort of the theme of the message today. So by worship moment, I'm assuming you mean, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm assuming you mean we stop and we have a... I'm, I'm speaking, speaking over part, you. I'm speaking I'm over you. I'm, sa- you. I'm, I'm saying something with you. you. Sure, absolutely. A really authentic moment. Right. It should be. Yeah. Um, but I always felt like it, it felt rushed or, or wasn't authentic. It's like I didn't have enough time where I'm a volunteer. I didn't have a lot of time to practice ahead of time. I have a day job, whatever. Then boom, you're you're practicing this yeah. that Sunday morning for that service. Service yeah. is plural, I should say. Yeah. And you're thinking, okay, well, so-and-so said it something like this. Well, I'll just change it a little like that, and that'll make it my own. Yeah. I, I didn't I didn't feel good about that either. It's like, okay, so, it, okay, okay, well, it is what it is. We're yeah. still connecting, and I'm still speaking over people. But again, it's still all, almost, it, well, it is scripted. It's scripted. Well, and the time, you have to be on time because you have to, to turn the parking lot around to get yeah. all of the services in, to get all the yeah. people in. When do you let the spirit actually flow? When do well, we let it's, things happen naturally? What if someone did come forward to the pulpit for you know for prayer for something really important? What if something if you didn't plan magic- it, you can't do it. Oh, yeah. So, and I'll say this: the Holy Spirit can preach, um, or the Holy Spirit can speak in advance. So, for some of my charismatic, sure. friends, especially <laughs> my charismatic pastor friends, um, that's brand new information to you, and you're going to be like, Jeff, I don't agree with that at all. Okay, uh, the Holy Spirit can speak more than just in the moment. Like if you ask Him two weeks in advance what to preach on, He'll tell you. Yeah, right? I mean, well, that's so, preparing well, there, for a sermon. There's there's two opposite ends of the spectrum. I got some charismatic friends that man, your service is going to go an hour and forty five, two hours, yeah, because your sermons everywhere because you didn't sure. plan. Well, I don't want that but, either, but. but in the multi-site megachurch, when I was preaching, and it was very hard on preachers because I preached every week. It's very hard on preachers because I can sometimes when I first started and stuff like in student ministry, you you had some wiggle room, like a five minute buffer. Sure. But when you're preaching and it's going out video streaming or anything like There's, that. You've got to stay on time. I remember getting told by, by a pastor, I'm, you're getting the weekend platform. Right? You're getting the weekend platform. It's a huge deal. And I felt very honored. If and talking to me and a couple of other people about it, if you go over one second on my stage, you'll never be on it again. Yeah. Right. And I remember being terrified, Vicky. You are. And then you almost feel like you're going to go short. You you can't go short 
Because if you go short, you can't go short either. You can't go short because the announcements are happening at the end, right? Like, so in some churches, listen, some churches you can go short, some churches you can't, but it's like, I have to finish basically within a three second moment. Mm -hmm. Okay. I can't do anything else. There was a couple of times in student ministry when we weren't streaming somewhere else that I would, you know, we'd get done on time, we'd start on time, but I would change something or I'd come out and do a worship moment and we'd pray instead of a worship song or whatever. The, the worship, you know, pastors would be on board with it. Everybody would be on board with it. We talked about it and made it happen. I feel like God is calling us to do this. Um, we get great feedback. Um, but then when my bosses found out that I was changing stuff, they literally locked it down. And two weeks later, it was now everybody in student ministry has less ability to change anything. It's more, And it was getting more locked down as we go. So, you know, on one hand, again, it's going to be polished. On the other hand, it does make it seem less authentic. Well, and it's not, it's, it can be. And it authentic. makes it hard for the Holy Spirit to move. To move, even for the pastor. But I, it doesn't mean that their messages aren't good. No, not at all. It doesn't mean that they um, haven't prepared ahead of time and thought about things that were on their heart and where God gave yep. them to share. But it is on a time, very strict time schedule. Yeah. And so, there's that whole other element you have to consider. So yeah. well, I'm not saying I want to be in church all the day, joke but... or not. I have to keep saying it because it's yeah. so now here's the other thing. And again, this, this is not every church. Okay. It's not every multi-site mega church. So if you go to a multi-site mega church, please don't comment at me and don't give me a bunch of grief over this. This, this may not be your church. Right. What I am saying is I've seen it with my own two eyes and it is a lot of your more quote unquote successful top people on this list church. Um, the problem becomes the timing is one thing, but again, the Holy Spirit can move in advance. So let's say that the Holy Spirit is fine. God has said, do this exactly the same way. That is fine for all of these people across multiple states, multiple locations, whatever. Okay. Okay. Even if that's the case, at many of these churches, going back to what you talked about earlier, that teleprompter they're reading is a script that someone else wrote for them, or at least 80% of it was written for them. Right. Um, I, I not only know pastors who do this, I know the people who are writing their sermons, right? I know who's writing their sermons and who's helping them. If they're making any changes, they have to be made with the, the script writer. Again, maybe that's good if you, if you, if you have teachers, but I think people need to know I'm, I'm teaching up here because I'm a good presenter, not make people think, Hey, these are my words that God gave me. I think that's dangerous because I think what we trust is when a pastor's preaching, I think we all have a trust that that's what God gave you as you saw him. Right. That's what, that's the word God gave you for this congregation. Correct. Um, and I think it, it feels very inauthentic. It feels like a bait and switch and it feels, and a lot of times to me, it feels wrong when there's a script writer who is writing it. I want to know if you're an actor, tell me you're an actor. I go to movies all the time. I love good actors. Okay. But when you're reading from a script, you're acting. Right, you're you performing. Are. You're not preaching. But then, on the same note, you've got some preachers who are great at writing sermons, messages, sharing the. There word. are plenty that don't share but, that with a script writer because they're awesome at it. Right, and and they're awesome at it. and but but there are also some that aren't good at delivery, and so I guess finding the balance in that, right? I mean, what it's if it's not they, like a starting point? Yeah. It's like eighty to a hundred percent is written for you. Yeah, something right? now, especially. Yeah, the trend with the with the big churches. Yeah, so I was at a church. Um, you know, last Christmas we were at a big. You know, we were at a big church uh, for a big Christmas deal with family, right? Um, so we're going to this church. We walk in. 
Um, and uh, about halfway through the message, I'm like, you know, this is all good and it's true, but it feels flat. Mm. Um, it's really good and polished, but it feels flat. Something feels wrong. Mm -hmm. So I remember I did what I do because again, I've been inside the church. I just looked behind me and lo and behold, teleprompter or what, what churches usually, they don't call them teleprompters. That feels bad. They call them confidence, confidence monitors. monitors. (laughs) You know that from worship, right? Yes. Okay. We have those two. So I look back at the confidence monitor. Okay. And there are two people on stage. Okay. The two people, it's like a, a team preaching kind of deal for this Christmas thing. Cause it's not normal. And I realized exactly why I was feeling flat because I watched for five minutes and they didn't say a word that deviated from, from the, the screen. Right. So eventually, and this is probably not a good thing to do. I'm sure there were people around me who did not like it because they didn't realize what was going on. But I just elbowed my wife because she knows, you know, I have the issue with the teleprompter. So I elbowed her and I turned around. I'm staring at this teleprompter with people looking at me like, what are you? You're looking away from the stage. And I just started preaching it. <laughs> it was low. It was under my breath. It was, and I finally just looked at my wife and I said, I can preach it better than they can. Let me get up there. I, right? And now I'm totally distracted. So maybe I'm just being a jerk, but yeah. I'm totally distracted because I know what's coming next. If you're going to do that, just give me the transcript, man. I'll Give me the option to read it. Yeah. Right. Can I just mute you and turn on closed captions? Why'd I come? Right. right? Um, so I, I think for some people, they're not going to be bothered by that. Other people are going to be. And again, that's not every multi-site mega church, um, but pastors, I'm just going to tell you. If you're reading a script, you need to tell your people. If you are reading that script and other people are writing most of your sermon, you need to tell your people that you are performing, that you're acting. You can use different words. You can make it sound better than that. Uh, but I think people in congregations have a right to know whether their pastors bring in a word that they got from God or they're just preaching something, reading something, performing something that someone else wrote. Yeah. I think we have the right to know. Yeah. A lot of people are going to be fine with that. Let's be real. A well, lot of people are going to be fine with that and they can stay at your church. Sure. Um, Here's some of my um, here's some of my concerns. We'll talk about concerns, but we'll also talk about some good stuff in the mega sure. church too. Actually, let's well, let's do this. Let's talk about good stuff in the mega church, and we'll start talking about concerns. I want to bring this together. What's some of the really good stuff that you've seen that makes you excited about the multi site mega church? Because you served for a long time for in sure. a multi site mega time. church. I was a part of staff for a long time. Um, there's a lot that I don't like. There's a reason why I'm not in the multi-site mega church now. Um, but there's also a ton of good stuff that's happening. Absolutely. I think some wonderful things. First thing I can definitely think of is, um, there's lots of opportunity to volunteer and in your community. I think there's a lot of things that, that, that larger churches, multi-site churches can reach more people. Um, like Chris, like at Christmas for, for, for outreach. Um, yeah. Uh, even thinking in reaching beyond their community globally, they can yeah. do a difference. Um, I think we have more resources, have more, more money, resources. more volunteer man yeah. hours, all of those yeah. things. And that equals better opportunities to actually help and serve mm-hmm. people. And I think that's a fantastic thing. Yeah. Well, you're not just serving to serve, but you don't really have enough money or manpower to make a difference. Now you have right. money and manpower to make a huge, huge difference. difference. Yeah. Yes. Um, especially when there's disasters yes. in a community, the church can mobilize fast, and multi-mega site churches, they have again, they have the money and manpower when a hurricane comes through or flooding happens to really love their community. And you have so, so many small groups um, that step up and help their fellow yeah. other small groups and families and people in need yeah. of the church. And there's there's a lot of people yeah. and capabilities. So that. if you just want to meet people, for instance, yeah. it's a great place to go meet people because you can serve, you can be in a small group. You can meet as many people. You as could you try want, different volunteer right? roles, so you could find, you know, yeah, your community, what feels right to you. Sure. 
Um, one of the things that I think is huge, and, and most people, if you're a professing Christian, this is a really big deal to you. There are usually a lot of professions of faith, a lot of baptisms, okay? Mm-hmm. That's very exciting. People coming to faith, people going public with their faith, and there's usually a lot of new people. If you want to see like new people coming to church all the time and feeling like you're growing, the multi-site mega church is predominantly really good at that. Okay. Yes. Like I know um, one of the churches that I served at, and I've seen this a lot similar numbers in churches I've consulted with. Um, sometimes it's less and more depending on the size. Um, but you may have a church that's running eight to 10,000 people a week. Okay. And they're reaching 10,000, eight to 10,000 new guests a year, brand new people to the church which is awesome. And it actually means you're reaching as many new people as you had at your church. So if you hold on, held on to even 25% of them, you'd be growing by 25% every year. Yeah. Right. If you hold on to all of them, you'd be double that size every year. Sadly, a lot of those churches are staying the same or going slightly backwards or growing by 5%. Right. So that, that is really good. There's a lot of good people. There's a lot of new people. There's a lot of baptisms. There's a lot of that that we'll talk about this in the downside here in a moment. But it also sadly means there's a whole lot of people that are coming through your doors that aren't connecting and we don't know what happened to them. Either they're coming through your doors and they're not connecting or as they're connecting, people who have been connected for a while are leaving as fast as new people are coming in. So that's a a bit of a concern. But salvations, baptisms, new people coming in, tons of energy. I, I think that's huge. So tons of good. A lot of newness. You know, it is a it is if if your only experience has been a certain denomination of a church, um, yeah. a different type of faith, whatever, you know, a, a, a multi-site church, there's a lot of them. It's yeah. easy to go and attend and check one out. And so it's... You can sit and do nothing. And just right? sit and be and take it in and or not. Right. You know, just, yeah. So and I know we're not on the downside, but I may not say this in a minute because I don't think it's in my notes. I may forget it. The downside of that is it's easier to get into a consumer Christian mentality. Oh yeah. I come to church to consume. I come to church to be entertained. But again, you can connect you really can connect easily. If you want to. Yeah. There there's um people again, everywhere. It's gonna feel modern. It's not gonna feel like mm-hmm. uh, you know, um, we're chanting in antiquity and something mm-hmm. that I don't understand. We're not using <laughs> these and thou's. Um, even if you're not a believer, a lot of times the the message is gonna be something that you enjoy. It's gonna be practical. Um, a lot of churches going back to the resources, a lot of larger churches even have things like free mental health, um, counseling and stuff like that for, uh, people who attend. That is fantastic. Mm-hmm. That's all okay? good. Now, again, if you have one counselor for 7,000 people, um, that's more about how you look probably than trying to make a difference, um, or three for 30,000 people or whatever it is. Um, but those things are, are all Awesome. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I think one of the best things, I, this is probably my favorite thing about the multi site mega church, is one of the easiest places in the world to invite a friend who's still questioning to. Oh, absolutely. A friend who isn't of faith or they're, they're thinking about reengaging in church. It's just easy and it's going to be a great experience for them. Yes. Okay. Now, I, I wish we could talk about a ton more good stuff and there's probably stuff that we could pull out, but people are listening to this podcast and we're talking about this because there's also a whole lot of negative. And I want to talk about that again, because we're asking, is this a failed experiment? Is this sustainable? And it's because for all the good, there's a lot of concerning things about the mega church. I'm going to tell you the number one thing that concerns me, Vicki. Um, and then we'll talk about this and other things. But the number one thing that concerns me, you think about that top 16 list, that top hundred list, you're talking about churches with 60,000, 30,000, 25,000, 20,000, 62 over 10,000. All of these churches we're talking about, they have to be over 2,000 a week to even be in the conversation. 
Okay. When you think about that, I know hundreds of people just from the last two years who have left multi-site megachurches and either have left the church for good. Maybe they still believe and still follow Jesus, but they've left the church either for good or for a season. They're not going to any church. Or a lot of them have left the faith as a whole and they're deconstructing, right? We got people who are watching right now. You've left the faith as a whole and you're deconstructing. And we're glad that you're here because we want to help you heal, mm-hmm. right? But here's my question. If I know of hundreds by myself, people who I know their names, I know their stories who have left these multi-site megachurches, right? And I know that every year that church attendance is going down. Every year, the people who call themselves Christians is going down. And these people, there's there's hundreds I know. So there's thousands, hundreds of thousands, if not millions leaving with trauma a year. Is anybody even noticing that they left and why they left? Is anybody reaching out? Does anybody care? Because it's really easy to leave with trauma, to leave the faith altogether, and to walk out a big back door and no one know. Well, I've wondered the same thing about myself because I haven't like officially ever said that I left, but I haven't been back since. How long has it been since you uh, left, since you stopped attending the multi-site megachurch you were at? I think um, the last time I served was in October of last year. October of twenty two. Yes. So almost, as we're recording this, almost a year. I don't know when this released, but it's been almost a year. Almost. Um, The last time I had spoken to someone um, was January of this year. Hmm. Um, Months ago. Months ago. And I, that's when I raised some concerns and, you know, some things that I was not okay about and frustrated with. And, um, I haven't heard from anyone since, except for other people who have left or have been watching this podcast or, um, other people who left, who haven't been, they haven't heard from anybody else either. So mm -hmm. they're finding community with you or, Or, and I, and I think they are starting like they're there. It is people who have also like, Hey, are you still going? And I'll be like, no, not, not, no, not. And they're like, um, we aren't either. Yeah. For and then similar it's like, what reasons, do you say next? Do you right. ask why? Like, well, do you make it awkward? Right, but I just say I'm sorry. You know, I'm sorry that, that that's happened to you too. Um, and again, not regardless of the trauma, regardless why you're not going. My big concern, my biggest concern, well, not my biggest, but one of my big concerns with the Melissa Mega Church, how many people are leaving the church and maybe even the faith, and no one's checking in with them because again, that back door is wide open, and you can leave that back door fairly. Right, because well, you, I guess, in a way, they feel like you're replaceable. It's fine. Well, well, there'll be other people that'll come in and, and take your place. It's okay. Everybody's replaceable as far as a volunteer or a staff member within the organization of the church. That person's not replaceable in the kingdom, though. Thank you. And are they? You know, if they're not even a professing Christian when they leave, and I know we're, I mean, we always get flack when I talk about this. We have people who say, oh, well, if they left, they weren't ever a professing Christian to begin with because you can't be a Christian and leave the faith. That's not the point. The Mm -hmm. point is, if people are leaving the faith, our job was to disciple them, to find out that, hey, you are professing belief, but maybe you're not really a believer yet. What does this look like? Our job is to know what's happening. If someone leaves, we know why they decided to leave. If they're leaving and they're not professing faith anymore and no one knows from your church, 
that's a big deal. And that really, really concerns me. So we'd love to hear from you. If you've left a church out the back door like that, you've left faith or you've left the church and maybe you still love Jesus, but um, you're still following Jesus, but you're not going to a church and no one's reached out and checked out. I would love to know because I'm legitimately wondering how many people this is happening to. I'm not saying it is, but it's a concern because again, I know hundreds of people who have had the experience you had. Maybe I just have a really weird sample size. Maybe it's because of my story. Maybe it's because of what I went through. Maybe it's because I am a pastor and people are coming to me. Um, but it really does warn me that if that's happening at the same rate with other people in the other churches, then there's, there is, there's an issue. There is an issue there. And it's like, is it because they don't care or they're too busy? And when we say they, just to clarify, we're not talking about a specific church. No, I mean, the, out of the general. hundreds of people that I'm talking about, it's been from, you know, a handful of churches for sure. the most part, right? Sure. Uh, but I wanted to make sure that when we said they were talking they, about multi site mega churches, in, right, not correctly, one church. as a whole, right? An umbrella. Uh, mm -hmm. Again, every time we talk negative about a church or we say they, there are some people who think I'm talking say, about one church, this church, or that church. Is, yeah, it's ridiculous. Um, here's a couple of other concerns that I have though. So we talk about people leaving. Um, did anyone ever notice? Let's talk about a couple of specific churches. Okay. Um, there are a whole lot of churches who used to be on that top 100 list used to be in the top 10 used to be, you know, 20, 30,000 people who are now either off that list entirely or they're running eight, seven, 10. What happened? And I'm talking multiples, not just one. What happened to the 20,000 people that aren't at your church anymore? What happened to the 30,000 people, to the 15,000 people, to the 5,000 people that aren't at your church anymore? It's not just that you're farther down on the list. Um, a lot of times they're farther down on the list because there was a moral failure or there was a scandal and the mm -hmm. church didn't close, but something happened. What happened to the tens of thousands of people represented? That's a good question. Maybe hundreds of thousands, if we put it all together, of people who are represented on that list who are no longer represented. Maybe they're represented in 2019 and they're not represented now, or they're represented in 21, but not in 22, or they were on 22, but they won't be on 23. We have to ask the question, what is happening to those people? We're talking thousands upon thousands. What's happening to them? I'm gonna give you a couple of specific examples though. Um, have you ever heard of Next Level Church? Uh, they're in the Northeast. Josh Gagnon, really charismatic dude, mm -hmm. was their pastor. Mm -hmm. Okay, they're one of the, the probably the fastest growing, most healthy church in the Northeast because as you get in the Northeast, you have less of a a church demographic, right? Mm -hmm. um, earlier this year, some stuff came out about financial scandals and different abuses, and it came out and very quickly in a matter of a couple of weeks, they folded. Josh Gagnon is no longer the pastor. He's only the pastor. The church is shut down. From my best guess from the numbers I can find, it looks like about 4,000 or so people were going to Next Level Church and one of their campuses every single week. Now, I'd heard Josh Gagnon, their pastor. I'd heard him on different podcasts. He talked about how, you know, I never set out. He would say, I never set out to build a big church. I set out to build a healthy church. And I just love that we have this healthy big church, right? Well, it turns out it's not healthy. But it is big. It falls. Vicky, <clears throat> they close literally overnight. Where are those 4,000 people? Well, that's a great question. Does anybody know? Are other churches going after them? Do they have a list to give to other people? Here's who we were caring for, and now these are sheep without a shepherd. Mm -hmm. Okay. Think about this. Mars Hill. A lot of people are familiar with Mars Hill now. If you're not, you've been living under a rock, and uh, I need you to go listen to the Rise and Fall of Mars Hill podcast so you know what we're talking about. Okay, but most people, whether you're a Christian or not, you're familiar with Mars Hill Church, Mark Driscoll. We talked about him on this podcast before. Um, but again, 
years ago now, they were one of these first really big multi-site mega churches blowing and going, fast growing in the Seattle area. Okay. They had huge scandal, abusive pastor. He gets removed. The churches have to close down in just a few months. They were averaging over 6,000 people a week. Over 6,000 people a week. They closed down. What happened to all those people? And beyond that, Vicky, we don't know what happened to all those people. Can you think, did you watch Rise and Fall of Marcel? I have not. Are you listening to it? No, I haven't. Oh, you're one of those people living under a rock. Well, I'm not living under a rock. I've heard of Marcel. Well, they're long, but, like our podcasts. They're quite long yeah. episodes. So. Well, I'll, I've um, got time. I'll so do it. It's investigative reporting. It's mm-hmm. not conversations like this. Right. It's investigative reporting. And just from the Rise and Fall of Mars Hill, from certain message boards that are out there, um, different online communities, um, I know of thousands, thousands that have traumatic stories that say, I still struggle to go to church. My faith has never been the same. And many who even on the rise and fall on Mars Hill, there are ones who would say some even pastors, I'm not, I don't really consider myself a believer anymore. I don't really go to church. I don't know, you know how I feel about that between these two churches. And we know there are people who have completely walked away from the faith or walked away from practicing the faith with other community members between those two churches alone. The most conservative ev- estimate that we have that's 10,000 people. We don't know what happened to them. Yet, 10,000 people in a faith community that just disappeared. Yet these churches would be the first to sing a song um, <clears throat> about leaving the 99. Well, they know, would have scripture. been before they closed down. That's what I'm saying. Hanging. They you know, talk about how Jesus left uh, the 99 for the one, but you nobody seems to be concerned about where these people are going. And again, let's think about the bigger trend. There are less and less normal-sized churches Every month, right. there are more and more mega churches every month. If you were at Next Level or if you were at Mars Hill, here's what I can almost guarantee you you don't feel comfortable going back to another multi site mega church right now because even if it's a great church, you've been traumatized and, and you, you don't want any more of that. No, and you can't trust you, you, your trust you were, is broken. You were you there because saying? you loved that pastor in ministry and you sure. gave your life to it because yeah. you thought it was awesome. And then you find out that there was a bunch of deception going on. There mm-hmm. was moral failure, there was spiritual abuse, there was sexual abuse. There's all these things, right? If that's you, you are not going to feel comfortable going most likely to another multi-site megachurch. Yet there are less and less normal churches that are operating with excellence because they're selling their buildings, they're closing down. They're, you know, and a lot of it is because their people are leaving for the mega church down the street. What happens when people are leaving like this and all they have is the mega church or something that looks close to it. Again, um, there's a lot of good, but there's a lot that's challenging. So Brandon Billings from uh, Belmont University, um, they published a paper, you know, how you know, professors and doctoral candidates and all that. They published these, um, the papers, one of the recent papers that they published in the last few years, um, it was, t- it, it said this, and this is a quote. I want to make sure that I get it. One of the specific challenges for the megachurch, one of the specific challenges for megachurches is the problem of potential abuse by pastors. These pastors are characterized by toxic and destructive leadership. In recent years, many Christians, as well as non-Christians, okay, have been shocked by the number of megachurch pastors, shocked by the number of megachurch pastors revealed as bullies, narcissists, and sexual assailants. So you've got this academic paper being written on this that says one of the biggest issues facing the modern day multi-site megachurch 
is that there is a trend. This is not one. This is not two. This is not three. There is a trend now of toxic and destructive leadership. Okay. There's a trend of bullies, narcissists, and sexual assailants as these charismatic pastors and Christians and non-Christians alike are at the same time while multi-site mega churches are growing faster than any other churches, culture at large is starting to say, we're distrusting these organizations. We're distrusting these institutions. We're distrusting that slick pastor who I want to listen to because they sound great, but I'm wondering, are they another moral failure? Are they another bully? What are they doing? And with this podcast, I mean, if you've been listening, if this isn't your first episode, you know most of what we're talking about, we're actually disclosing that because there are more bullies, more narcissists, more sexual assailants than you could believe in the multi-site megachurch. There's also more incredible men and women of God than you'd believe. But you have these people who are at the front, who are getting all this power as these lead and executive pastors, too many of them. Definitely not all of them. There are some fantastic ones, but too many of them are going down these narcissistic, bully, trauma, abusive, destructive roles. Those are the roads they're going down. Um, so again, one of the things that bothers me about the multi-site megachurch is that there's so much abuse and narcissism and bullying that culture at large has started to take notice. Yes. And, um, and rightly so, but also that, uh, it, it causes, um, I think it, they get caught up too, and this whole idea is run. It's run like a business, um, and not in the business of caring for people, but in a business of leadership and power. I think it gets to their heads. Um, I think um, we get a little money uh, flowing, and that definitely feeds a, a bad seed. Yeah. Um, and whether you want it to be about the money or not, whether you want it to run like a business or not, there's no way for churches to be running 20, 30, 40, 60, 85,000 and it not run like a corporation. Absolutely so when it can't. runs like a corporation, Vicki, you're going to have some of the same problems, scandals, and legal issues yes. that a corporation has. Absolutely. That's, and that's why NDAs are in the church because we're running like corporations. Right. Right. Which that we've just, we've talked about that a little bit. And but that's, that's, this is where it's all concerning because, um, who, who's holding these people accountable? Well, we talked about that in a lot of cases, nobody, because right. they've created an organizational structure right. to protect power. Right. right. So, so you have that happening and, um, it, it's, we're humans. Pastors are humans. People in leadership are humans. They, um, unfortunately can get caught up in a lot of it. And it's just like a down, downward Easily. spiral. And well, and when you get, control, you're affecting too many people when you were at this mega thousands. thousands of people. We're talking about tens of thousands. So you think about this, it's human nature. This is not just church leaders. It's human nature. You get power, you get money. You want to hold on to it. We want control. Okay. Now, the, these big churches are running a lot like corporations. There's good running like a business. Okay, I'm a business consultant. I'm pro-business. There's good there to a church running like a business. I'm a church consultant as well. I help churches build a lot of systems that look like business systems. Okay, it's not all bad. At the same time, okay, we there are certain parts of running like a corporation that is completely incompatible with Scripture. Now, the church, though, is a poor imitator of culture. Would you agree? Absolutely. Every time we try to imitate culture, the problem is we may, no matter how good you look or sound, you'll always be a poor imitation of culture. Part of being a poor imitation of culture means that churches are also poor imitations of corporations. 
We want to look like, act like, run like a corporation, but we're a poor imitation of that. So how many corporations that you know, do you know that are worth, you know, millions and billions of dollars that pick their leader based on nepotism and say, oh, well, our CEO is really good. So we're going to give it to his son. That doesn't happen in big corporations. It happens in small mom and pop businesses, right? True. True. The majority, not all, the majority of multi-site megachurches follow the same succession strategy. Who is the son with the same last name that's most equipped to take this over? Who is the son-in-law that could take this over? And they keep it in the family like a family business. This isn't like a board. This isn't like the board of a corporation that goes out and finds the new CEO. Okay. It's a lot of times it's who's related so that we can keep the church the same. So you got the church imitating corporations, but acting like a family business with little accountability to keep control. And there's a reason why even in corporations, CEOs don't go unchecked for a reason because they will always make it crash and burn. You have to have accountability. You have to have accountability. Absolutely. Right. But again, in church, in church and Christianity, it's really easy to keep it in the family and that feels good. It's not always bad. No, that's not always bad. It's happening way too often to be a good Mm. strategy, right? Mm -hmm. Let's think about this. You get past the leadership issues, the bullying, the abuse and all that. Um, One of the big concerns a lot of people have, and oh, oh, by the way, going back to this, and we talk about people leaving um, the multi-site megachurch because of bullying, abuse, narcissism, and all those things. Guys, Some of y'all are saying, Jeff, that's just because you're experienced and you're bitter. And you're just talking about your experience because you're bitter. That's not every church, okay? It's not just because I'm bitter. Now, some of you are saying, you're just reading a bunch of articles and that's a news media trying to trash the church. That's not all of these churches, okay? Every single week when we do an episode, I'm getting messages. I'm getting comments by real people who are saying, thank you for giving us a voice. I've experienced all these things. So whether you know it or not, it's not just us being bitter. It is not just the media trying to paint churches out to look bad. I'm telling you every single week, we're hearing from more and more and more of you that say, no, that's been my experience. There is every church and every, every multi-site mega church and every multi-site mega church leader pastor is not a narcissistic bully. They're not a spiritual abuser. But there are way too many narcissistic bullies and abusers in our pulpits, and that's got to stop. We've got to get to the point where there's accountability to check them and where people will stand up and say something. Okay, Vicki, you want to know the number one thing I can do to piss people off with this podcast? (laughs) Right? And it's great when I piss people off because the more controversial something is, the more views we get. Well, the words you just said might offend somebody. Sorry. Oh, me saying pissed you off, pissed you off, then piss off of this podcast. (laughs) It's not for you. Like literally, if that bothers you, you're just, you're not our target audience. I mean, we're just going to be real here. So we really do love you. You're not our target audience. Okay. But if I want to piss people off, here's what I do. Okay. I post a clip from one of the podcast episodes where I say anything that challenges pastors or honoring pastors and hateful, arrogant, committed church going Christians will jump in and fight me in the comments and the mentions. Wow. One of the most, like from the first, like, you know, a few weeks of the podcast, I'll never forget. Cause it was the first time that I was like, Oh my gosh, this is literally growing because so many people hate it. <laughs> it was the amount of Christians. I just posted something about, um, the toxic dishonor mm-hmm. or the toxic honor, sorry, toxic honor of having, feeling like you have to call 
your pastor by his title. Oh, right, okay? right. People lost their minds. They didn't listen to the video. They didn't listen to the context. They didn't listen to anything else they said. They were willing to fight me on, I call my pastor, pastor, and that is not worship of man. That is not idol worship. There's nothing wrong with that. I had people call me names you wouldn't believe. Had to block and restrict because restrict, it was bad. The ones I left on there, things like you have a spirit of dishonor. What Bible are you reading? Stuff like that. So, And I'm just saying this. Here, here's the point of that. If I want to piss people off and have a mob after me with pitches, with pitchforks and torches, all I have to do is say something bad about their pastor. That's the reason why so many narcissists and bullies are drawn to the pulpit, because they are protected by people who now identify with them. And hey, I identify with you. Our church is successful. I want our church to be good. I love your preaching. So I will overlook you treating people like absolute garbage to protect you, to protect my church, to protect the identity. And make excuses and I'm for them. What, not only they make excuses for them, there is no reason why. Okay, it, it's kind of fun the amount of atheists and the amount of like antagonistic atheists. Because I know we have atheists listen to the podcast and, and you guys love it. We're super glad that you're here because you like the conversations. But antagonistic atheists who just want to tear the Bible down, tear the church down. Because I was ever a pastor or the church uh, churches in our podcast title, they hate me. They're leaving all kinds of stuff. Right? They're f- actually fun conversations. Sometimes I have to like restrict them because they're being like super mean and demeaning to our community, sure. like to people. Yeah. Um, but those are fun conversations. It should never be true that the most arrogant, mean, and abusive people online are church people. Never. And, and, and I hear from a lot of Christians who say thank you. So it's not all of them. Oh, of course not. But the most arrogant, mean, and abusive comments we get, messages that we get, are from Christians. And that shouldn't be that way, right? But that shows why it's so easy for narcissists and bullies to get in the pulpit and stay in the pulpit. Yeah, and I like that when you brought up the fact that, you know, if you identify, you your identity is attached to your church and your, um, of course, the, the pastor, the leaders. Um, well, that's great that you have community. But... Absolutely. However, the overlooking part is the key... That really, you know, hit home to me. That was the key word that hit home to me because um, I could say there were people that I I love and care about that I served with, yeah, that I attended small group with, that I felt were my safe space to say I'm concerned about how certain things are going in my volunteer role. Uh, seeing things at church that scare or me. seeing something that I'm uncomfortable with uh right all those things and um it it was discussed but it was but it was also either overlooked or um of course well you just need to go talk to so and so about that okay so when i finally did that i've nothing nothing they either do nothing or don't talk to you right so it's that overlooked people don't want to talk about it Oh, okay. You've now got proof. You've you or you know we know the end result now, and um, they're not going to do anything about it. They're not going to change. You've brought it up. Whatever. Mm-hmm. They're going. They're going to continue to overlook it because they're still going to attend the church and still serve that church because their identity is tied to it. But yep. my hurt didn't seem to matter. And honestly, that's the worst hurt sometimes. Right. It's not even that the church or the church leader hurt you or someone else. It's the people that it's you trusted in your inner circle. That they either left you high and dry or ignored it or minimized it. I, so I talked to a person today 
from our community. I'm not going to name their names or tell their story or anything, but I was talking to them. We had coffee and they were telling me about, you know, a, a situation in church where a person close to them, um, saw something that was wrong, followed Matthew 18 behind closed doors. Hey, there's sin here. We need to take care of this. The way this person was treated wasn't okay. I still love the church. I'm still going to be here, but we need to deal with this sin, right? Um, there was a lot of pushback. People didn't want to repent. So he starts getting proof together to bring. And now because they realize he's got proof together to bring, what they did was uh, multiple leaders, spouses of pastors that are at the top, start gossiping about this person. Oh, wow. And they start saying things that are uncorroborated and untrue about them. And then before long, they say, oh, this person's, uh, they're gossiping and they're trying to you know, turn people against us. And they come up with fake reasons to disfellowship this person. Wow. They disfellowship them. They're not allowed in the church anymore. And the only reason they did it, the person who's telling me was brokenhearted. They're not leaving this church because something happened to them. They're leaving this church because they watched someone get disfellowshipped because the moment that he had proof to call them on their sin, they went ahead and just destroyed his character so that when he brings it, it looks like he's just bitter and it's not real. And how is that being a Jesus follower? It's not. Right. And again, that's not every mega church, oh, every multi-site not. church, no, no, but no. it's easiest to do in a multi-site mega church because the power structure. And it's so large. Yeah. And again, people will protect it sometimes, even when they say, I don't feel good about what's going on, but we have to protect this because look at all the, look at the tens the of good. thousands we're reaching. And They're, how good, how much good we're even doing. Even good people yeah. are asking the same question we're asking, what would happen to all these people? Right. And now, because we don't know what would happen to all these people, we'll let the 10 and 20 a year that are getting absolutely destroyed, get destroyed and sweep it under the rug for the greater good. For the greater good. Which is, is not okay. No, and it and only grows like, with every well, year. Well, it's only just a few families that have left. Well, that you know about, right? That you make, yeah. the person making that comment is like, maybe that's the only two that you know about. What about yeah. all the others that you don't know about? And a lot of times it's small, but we have instances in the news from the last growing. couple of years where it was, it was it was covering up two allegations of rape. Yeah. It was covering up allegations of physical abuse, right? So if you can cover up small sins and, and it's lies. It's easier to cover up big sins. Correct. Right. And the more you cover it up, the more bold these narcissistic and bullying leaders get. I am so grateful for the leaders that can finish the race well and love people well. Amen. But yes. for every pastor who's finishing the race well and loving them well in these scenarios, there are others that are literally wolves in sheep's clothing that are being protected for the sake of protecting people. Right. Um, now, a couple other things that that I just wanted to make sure that we mention that really do concern me. Um, I am concerned about the financial impropriety that keeps coming up at a lot of these churches. Same. Um, and maybe we're only hearing about it because there are a lot of finances, but there are a lot of financial issues from fraud, from embezzlement, misuse of funds. Um, and again, do people have different ideas of misuse of funds? For me, I know it always bothered me when, you know, I, I still remember watching hundreds of thousands hundreds of thousands of tithing dollars getting thrown away in decorations from one year to the next simply because I we, we, we have enough in the budget, we'll buy new stuff. Or costumes. Not donated. Thrown away, Vicky. Costumes. Right? Yes, I've so heard about this. When I, I say know. financial impropriety, I'm not just talking about embezzlement. I'm not just talking about fraud. I'm talking about that stuff, misuse Wasted of tithe money, money, hush money and NDAs coming from tithe money, mm -hmm. um, lavish trips. 
Oh, right, that are are, are paid for with tithe money. Yeah, um, you know where you realize people are just taking vacations. There's a lot of stuff like that, even down to really small things. And we talked about this off air um, before we hit the record button. But there's a lot of churches that are hosting like top givers dinner or best givers dinners, and they're treating people very different with different levels of honor based on what they give, which is unscriptural. So from big things like embezzlement and fraud to those smaller things, it just seems like man, it's every couple of months, there's something else coming out with financial impropriety. And uh, a lot of these churches are a part of the same like organizations like the EFCA, the, uh, I don't even remember what it stands for, but they basically say, Hey, we're coming alongside and saying that this church, these churches are, um, really taking care of their finances. They're buttoned up and you can trust them. Well, I've watched it in enough churches now to know that's just a rubber stamp. And it doesn't mean anything, right? Down to the financial issues. And this, you know, we talked about this a little bit before, but I think it's worth saying again the fact that churches are the only nonprofits in the United States that can hide behind that, you know, um, what is it, the 990 form. Right. And because you're a church, you don't have to report what people are making. You don't have to report what's going on. Other nonprofits do because if people are giving, there should be transparency. Right. And very few churches, even if they give you an annual report, it's like four lines. You don't know what it is. So I know of one person, right? Go into a large multi-site mega church. They're very involved in worship. They were giving, you know, they're probably giving 50 plus thousand dollars a year. They are a big tither. They're blessed. They love their church. Okay. But they were sitting on some like leadership boards and for the first time actually saw some budgets and they found out that more was spent on haze in their church. The fog. More was spent on haze than was spent on missions. What? And they literally, it took about six months, but they couldn't stay at the church when they, they, they couldn't let go of it. They had to end up changing churches because they said, we cannot give as much as we give knowing that more is spent on haze for praise and worship environment than on missions and helping people. That's a true story. That's mind-blowing. I mean, I would go out the door with them too, and I would as part of a worship team. Like that's wow, right? Where are our priorities? That's that's another. Where are our priorities? That's another example of financial impropriety, though. But if there was transparency, more people would say that. And when you get a little bit of pressure, you're going to go, okay, maybe we don't spend so much on haze, and maybe people go, I love the environment, but we don't love the environment that That much. much. I'd rather help people. Yeah, more haze, more praise, or less haze, more missions. It's a question. It is it's a question, question worth asking. And I'm not against haze. I love me some haze. I love I me some good I actually hate it, Jeff, because it gets you in your throat and you're trying to sing. And sometimes they really love to pipe that uh, stuff in there. You want to know my favorite? My favorite is, and I've been at multiple churches this has happened at. You start doing haze at a campus. You start doing haze just at the church, but you don't know how to use it. You don't get the right kind for your fire alarms. And you set off the fire, fire alarm as soon as you use haze. I've been in an Easter oh. service and the fire alarms went out. We yes. kept singing. Yes, oh, well, fans. You got to have fans. No, it looks great. But wow. I've also seen the building had to be evacuated for like a fire and it totally messes it up. Was the haze worth it? I don't know. Okay. Um, A few other things that, you know, concern me. We talked about, you know, um, this trend or this question of our multi-site churches buying up the buildings, taking the members. Are they slowly devouring regular churches? Mm -hmm. Right. Um, That's a big concern for me, but we won't spend much time on it. Here's probably the biggest concern I have, period. Lack of discipleship. Yeah. It is, I have not found it yet. I'm not saying it's impossible, but I am saying I've not found a way to do this yet. So in my opinion, it is next to impossible to disciple 20, 30, 40, 85,000 people well, 
Okay. I've been at churches that were, you know, running 6,000, 10,000, whatever. It's next to impossible to disciple people well. What do we say? How do you disciple people in a big church like that? Through small groups. Small groups. Okay. I have been a small groups pastor. Can I tell you, as a former small groups pastor, we are not discipling people in most small groups. There are a few, but in most small groups, what we're building, we're building community, community which is fantastic. Which is, which is good. Right? You're, yeah. But you're not discipling people. You can't do enough life on life, and mm-hmm. the people who are supposed to be discipling you aren't equipped enough to disciple you. So we talk about two things. We mentioned this earlier, but the lack of discipleship, which leads to spiritual growth, biblical literacy, people being able to. And I think this is a big reason, um, Vicki, why people are leaving the faith when they have bad experiences in these churches. Because while they had a good experience up until their trauma, they weren't discipled, so their faith can't handle. Without discipleship, their faith can't handle a trauma like that. Yeah. When we disciple people and they get to grow up in the faith, your faith can handle some severe trauma. Sure. And I think the only difference between me staying in the church and a lot of friends and people leaving the church and leaving the faith is that I was discipled and they weren't. Mm. Right? The lack of discipleship and the lack of pastoral care. Okay? Because, again, I, I had hundreds of volunteers the last church that I was at. I had you know, thousands of people that I was responsible for in one form or another. Um, about a thousand, not thousands, about a thousand. Um, and it was hard because sometimes when a pastor did need to get involved, a hospital visit, death, I'm there with people I barely know because I didn't pastor them until those huge moments. I wasn't allowed to pastor until those huge moments. So that lack of discipleship, pastoral care, it, it grieves me. Yes, of course. And the fact that, um, so you place a lot of, and it, it cause it's happened to me, you place, um, a responsibility on volunteers if you're in a volunteer role and you're supposed to then care for these other people but nobody's really shown me how to do maybe i don't feel comfortable in doing it but i've been asked to do this yeah. so well it's just a check-in it's just praying for them or whatever but it's simple you'll be fine yet you yeah, yeah, feel yeah, uncomfortable i can't you're care right for this well i don't way. think i'm qualified or maybe i'm not qualified yet right and the other thing i would like to add about this discipleship instead too is, of them answering that though and giving you resources and helping to disciple you the answer is you'll be fine go and do it anyway Right there, and I've heard that from so many people, Mm. you share a concern, and the concern is I'm not equipped to do what I'm supposed to do. They minimize it, tell you there's no reason for the concern, and basically reformat it as if you continue to have the concern, it's because you're not faithful. Have faith. God will give you what you need. That check your heart part again. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So, but no, the other thing I wanted to add to it is in the discipleship is the... um, a lot of sermons at megachurches are about reaching the unchurched and people who are new to attending church, yeah. which is great. Um, but then where is the discipleship and care given to people who have been attending a long time or have been a part of, of church in some form or another, not new to the faith, but want to grow in their faith. Yeah. How do they grow in it when it's only when they're the, the only sermons that they have is about either tithing or uh, yeah. being, you know, some, someone new, you know, yeah. and, and all, and like there's an altar call every time. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing, but there's nothing wrong with it. You can no. be seeker sensitive and you can have your messages tailored to people who are young in the faith or don't have faith. Sure. But you also have to provide a way for the people who have been with you to grow in their faith. Right. Otherwise, again, you have, um, it's, it's like the parable of the sower and the seed. You have plants mm-hmm. that sprout up, but they don't have roots. 
and they wither. And this is something, man, I, I hate hearing this in the church. I'm so tired of this. You'll hear this from Christians all the time. Okay. You'll have someone who says a mature believer, I'm thinking about leaving this church or I left this church and they're not, they're not downing the church. Mm-hmm. Okay. Sometimes people are asking them, why are you leaving? And they simply say, I don't feel like I'm getting fed enough. Yeah. Okay. They're not attacking yeah. the church. Yeah. Don't do anything. And I have heard pastors behind closed doors crush people over that. Oh, they think they're better. They must not care about lost people. They're not getting fed enough, but they'll say stuff like this. And I, and Christians, we say this too often. Somebody says, I'm, I'm leaving the church. or I think about leaving this church because I'm not getting fed enough. And we'll say, oh, you're always worried about being fed. Maybe you should learn how to pick up your own spoon and fork and, and feed yourself. I've said that. I've heard other people saying that. And wow. you don't come to church to be fed. You come to church to serve. You, you don't come to church just to be fed. You come to church to help see other people come to Jesus. And what they do, they make you feel incredibly guilty for saying, I'm not getting fed here. Okay. I see stuff on social media about it all the time, memes and everything else. Church is not about you being fed. Don't leave a church because you're not getting fed enough. It's not their responsibility to feed you. Get off the milk and feed yourself. And I get all that. I have said all of that as a pastor. And I was wrong. And here's how I know I was wrong. There's nothing wrong with being fed. Now, do you need to graduate from milk to meat? Yes. Sure. From the milk of the faith to the meat of the faith? Yes. Yes. But what did Jesus tell Peter? If you love me, feed my sheep. Right. Because it doesn't matter how how smart or how mature of a sheep it is, that sheep is never going to get its own food. Right. Food and, has to be put out for well, it. Well, and I can't help and continue to help other people if I'm not also taken care of. Like, yeah. Yeah, I have to be able to continue to grow and and be nurtured if I'm going to help do that for other people, like helping reach other people, as they're saying. And we're not, you're not spoon feeding that sheep as a shepherd, but what you are is if you don't move them around and give them new places to graze, they will kill everything. They'll stop growing. They'll stop maturing. So again, church is not all about you being fed, but yes, it is okay to say, I need to be fed. I need a little something. That's discipleship. And that's, we're all in different seasons at different times. So yeah. Yeah. Um, a few other things, we don't really talk about them a ton, but I just want to mention them because, you know, we need to start landing the plane yeah. um, with the podcast today. Um, but I'm thinking multi-site megachurches are some of the worst with political entanglement in Ooh. the last five years I've ever seen. Yeah. And politics, and That's I may a, make a lot of people mad because every time we talk about politics on the, the podcast, we make people mad. I'm not taking a side. I'm simply saying your church should always run countercultural to your politics, no matter what party you're a part of, because the kingdom rules and kingdom decisions are different than political decisions and political rules, okay? Jesus wouldn't have been a Republican, and Jesus wouldn't have been a Democrat, okay? Kingdom people should always bristle a little bit. But churches are talking so much about these. A lot of these big multi-set mega churches are talking so much about politics, it's hard to know the difference. I literally heard a clip the other day where a pastor I mentioned on the top 16, I'm not going to say which one, but a pastor I mentioned on the top 16 largest churches in the country said, no pastors are talking about this, but our church will. Not enough pastors are talking about it. The biggest issue facing Christianity, facing the kingdom in the United States of America, is wokeism. And then he spent the next little bit just talking about wokeism. Now look, I'm not talking about wokeism on this podcast at all. And I don't care what you think about that. But that is not the biggest issue facing the church. Okay. And if you think that's the biggest issue facing the church, talk to people in other countries who are being murdered and martyred 
further faith. Okay. That is not the biggest issue facing the church. Even if you think it's an issue facing the church, it's not the biggest issue facing the church. And that should not be the main point of a sermon. No. Okay. Yeah. That's part of the issue. You know, we've talked about some of the diversity issues, like Mm -hmm. uh, multi-site megachurches are extremely homogenous. They are mainly white. They are mainly middle-aged, especially in leadership. They are mainly male. Okay. If the majority of our churches, the majority of our Christians are going to multi-site megachurches and that's where the trends are going, then it scares me for how, it scares me for how little diversity the kingdom has in America. Yeah. If that's the picture of church in America. And that's not the picture of America. It's frighteningly undiverse. Yep, very. We're leaving people behind at an incredible rate. Incredible rate because um last time I checked, America is 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 the most diverse it has been in many, well, many, many let years. Let me just right? tell you we heaven's not gonna be predominantly white. No. No, it's not. And, and for people who hey, expect heaven to be predominantly hey, white, here's a spoiler alert. Jesus, Jesus isn't white. white. <laughs> okay. There's a whole lot of Christians. I, I am worried. There are a lot of Christians. I'm worried about you that when you get to heaven, you're going to like be trying to pick a bone with Jesus asking why all these not white people are at or are, are there. Or you're going to ask Jesus, you know, you, you you hear about people saying, hey, when I get to heaven, I can't wait to ask Jesus a question. I don't think we're really going to ask Jesus a question that way. It's not going to be the first thing that we're going to do. But there are some Christians that their first question they would ask is, hey, Jesus, where are all the white people at? <laughs> okay, if that's your question, please don't ask that. It is not going to go well. But our churches don't look like the kingdom. They don't look like heaven. And again, that's a lot of churches. Churches are still one of the, you know, the church hours is still Even one of the most segregated churches, air, hours of yeah. the week, right? But if we're talking about the multi-site megachurch and how fast it's growing and how other churches are, are, are shrinking and going, you know, basically going out of business, right? Then I think we have to say something with, if that's the case, then if it's going to survive, the multi-site megachurch has to be much more diverse. It can't just be white men. And has to be legitimate. Yeah. And we're not talking about just, you know, leadership and stuff like that. We're talking yeah. about attendance being so heavily skewed Caucasian. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, and so I, I want to end with this quote, though. Right. Because we could talk about, you know, mimicking celebrity culture more. There's all of that. But I want to end with this quote from Tim Keller. And uh, the late Tim Keller passed away earlier this year. Um, most people, regardless of whether you where you land, have respect for Tim Keller. He ran the race, it seems from all indications, like he ran the race well and he finished well. Um, Tim Keller was also the pastor of a multi-site megachurch. And he said, I never set out to do that. You know, he he said this though, from the mouth of one of the most respected um, multi-site megachurch pastors who from all we know, it seems like he was never even close to a scandal. Incredible man of God said this. Megachurches are poor places for faith formation and pastoral care. I'm not saying that mega all multi-site mega churches need to close, that they're not good, but I am saying I agree with Tim Keller. From my experience, multi-site mega churches are poor places for faith formation and pastoral care, which means we need to protect more than just the multi-site mega church, or we need to change the model so it's a better place for faith formation, for discipleship, and for pastoral care. So Really, the question we've asked this whole time, I, I want to get to it because we've been all around it. But um, in your mind, you know, as we're talking about, is the multi-site mega church a failed experiment? We know it's not today because it's still growing. But we also know that there's a heavy line behind the bus 
of bullied, broken people and abuse victims. Yes. Right. But beyond that, do you think the multi-site church is a failed experiment that people are going to start seeing the failures of soon? Do you think it's it, it's still fun and redeemable, but is failing and something has to change before it fails? Um, or would you say, and maybe there's a, another option, but these are the three options I see. Do you think that the multi-site megachurch is successful and will be successful until it fully cannibalizes church in America and then kills churches we know it decades from now? Well, I think there's um, a, a part of me that feels it's it's two of those options. I think it's successful right now, obviously, um, if we look at proof in numbers and um, attendance and locations and all the things, but... Um, I think it's failing in a lot of ways because yeah. um, we're not really being authentic and re- really reaching people, doing some great things, but not as a whole. Um, I think as what I think what in my opinion, this is my opinion, but I, I I picture what and I think about what would Jesus feel about these mega churches. Yeah. Um, I don't I don't think he'd like what he's what he's seeing. Um. No, I there's think, that, uh, you've probably seen this on social media, but it's the meme that goes around that if Paul was writing letters today, our church would be getting one. Yeah. Our church would be getting one. We, it, there would so be true. a lot. Right. Uh, absolutely. And so I think, I think Jesus would be flipping some tables. I too. think he'd be flipping some big time tables. And people um, would, would have a hard time with that. Why are you flipping tables? Right. You know, and, um, and I think, I think he, he would see he definitely would would see the good, but there's a lot of, of things that need needs to change, needs to be fixed. It could, it if if everybody was on board and we and they realized, hey, here's the things that aren't working. If if you're going to help people, just start these things up. Are are you holding yourselves accountable to yeah. each other and making sure that things are going well? And if not, then help each other make them go better. If not, then they will continue to cannibalize and they'll take over. And I'm, I'm afraid there won't be a lot left for people to attend. And I hope, I hope, I hope that a lot of yeah. people don't leave the faith, but they, they could. But I think you even mentioned it earlier um, before we started the podcast was, you know, do we see churches starting in in your in the homes again because um i i it crossed my mind i thought well i've got enough small circle of friends that we've all left yeah. <laughs> you know um and not just the same church you know we just have that in common and i thought well we could we've talked about that yeah. before maybe we could just gather together even if it's just to watch another yeah multi multi mega church online <laughs> Gosh. but you know could we do something together? You know, it's I a think possibility. That's the way it's, so if the trends continue and this is not, I'm not trying to give my opinion. This is just, if the trends continue and smaller churches keep closing down, multi-site mega churches keep growing and we keep planting and adding multi-site mega churches. Cause again, the arc models start big, stay big, all that. If we keep doing that um, again, from my role as a pastor, a church consultant, I can tell you this in most of the multi-site mega churches that I have been around, the back door is open as wide, if not wider than the front door. So again, go back to that example earlier. We have 10,000 first time guests coming through this year, yet we didn't grow, barely grew, or we shrunk, right? So um, one of the things I remember talking to a, a church about this, it was, hey, everybody in your city knows you. And for a long time, what it was, was people were always inviting people to come, their friends to come, their family to come to your church because it was the best show in town. 
right? And they would invite people to come and they would love it and check it out and stay for a while. Maybe they stayed, maybe they left, whatever. But you've always had thousands of first-time guests coming in because you're the best show in town and there's always people who haven't seen you and heard you. And I said, over about a decade, you've done that so much that the reason why you're seeing a shift is because there are very few people in your city that don't know who you are. Right. There are very few people in your city that haven't formed an opinion about you. So if they love you, they're already there. And if they don't, they don't, they're they're not not there. there. So the only, there comes a point where the only first time guests you're going to be getting are people who have moved into the city who have not formed their opinion yet. Right. And there will come a day where if you continue these trends, more people leaving every year at the back door than coming in. When you no longer have enough people to come through the front door, your church will slowly cannibalize itself. Right. I think it's the same thing for the multi-site megachurch movement as a whole. I believe this is where we're at. Yes, I believe multi-site megachurch is wildly successful right now. If you just look at attendance numbers and baptism numbers. But I think if we look, there's another set of numbers we need to look at. Pastors of multi-site megachurches. There's another set of numbers we have to look at that's way more important. And it's how many people are leaving at your back door and are they re-engaging with another church? Okay. And look. From my experience as a consultant, my experience as a pastor, I'm going to tell you this. I believe I'd be willing to put two mortgage payments on it. That's how much I believe in it. I'd put two mortgage payments on this. Out of that top 100 largest churches in America list, probably less than five of them are tracking the number and could tell us how many people left through the back door. Yeah. And even less than them, perhaps none of them could tell us whether those people who left re-engaged with another church or not. So, hey, numbers... Attendance numbers are great, but attendance numbers don't tell the whole story. And if our back door of people leaving who are hurt and broken and traumatized is larger than our front door, there's a problem. So here's what I would say. I believe wholeheartedly that the multi-site mega church can get better. I probably am about 60, 40 that it could succeed. Sure. I'm about 40% sure about 40%. I would say, I don't know that it can. I think we're at a pivotal moment. This doesn't look like any of the churches we saw in scripture. Um, but I'm not saying it can't work. I'm probably 60%. It could work, but it would have to change. We would have to put an emphasis on discipleship. We would have to put an emphasis on pastoral care. And until I've never seen it work until the multi-site mega church can come up with a system that allows people to be cared for and discipled on such a large scale, It's not going to work, but it's going to look like it's working until it's not. And here's my fear. This is just, this is one man's opinion, educated with a lot of data. My fear and my opinion is that if we don't do something 20 to 30 years from now, we're going to look up and we're going to think the multi-site mega church in America is successful as ever until all of a sudden we notice more people are moving out the back door of the church in America as a whole than the front door. And about a decade after that, the church will be destroyed in America. When I say that, the church is never going to be destroyed. No one can ever destroy Jesus' church. But when I say destroyed, I'm saying churches, we know it. And I believe, Vicki, that's what will happen. If we don't change something, multi-site mega churches will cannibalize themselves so there's yep. nothing left. Yep. And church will essentially reboot in America as house churches things like that, that maybe are persecuted. I don't even know, but I don't think we're headed in a good direction. If we keep, if we keep doing the same thing and we don't change anything, I think it's dangerous. Do I want multi-site mega churches to fold and fail? No, No. Um, but we've got to talk about it. There's got to be a better way because the trends and the numbers 
are not good. And pastor, no matter what size church, if you're watching this, no matter what size church you pastor, if you don't know the data on how many people are leaving out your back door and whether they're re-engaging with another church, you honestly need to probably stop counting all of those other things because your first responsibility is to feed and care for the sheep that have been entrusted to you. So, um, not much else to say, yeah. but that I, I think we leave this way. I think, I think, and tell me if I'm putting words in your mouth. I think we leave this podcast episode with so much we love and want to see work in the multi-site mega church. I think we leave with hope because we know great people in the multi-site mega church. We see so much good that can be done. I think we leave with big belief that it can be done. Yes. And it can be something that puts a smile on the face of God. Absolutely. Um, but I think there's a lot of trepidation and anxiety. I think there's, there's, there's a feeling overall. And I would say I'm, I'm guessing here because they're not here. I would say probably all of our podcast hosts that all of that hope and all of that belief means nothing if something doesn't change, because I feel very sure that if things don't change, um, then at the end of the day, if they don't change, we'll look back in history and say the multi-site megachurch was actually one of the most harmful things that happened to the church in North America. Yeah. Um, I'm hoping that's not the case. Me I'm too. hoping that things change. And Me too. Uh, again, if you're pastoring a multi-site megachurch and you say, Hey Jeff, I want to work on these things. I want to get better. Um, contact me, let me know whether it's me, um, or other consulting groups will connect you with them. Um, you know, I don't know the answers. None of us know the answers, but we've got to start working on them until we find them. Yeah, yeah. I agree. And, uh, if you've been at a multi-site mega church and you've been hurt, you've been traumatized and you say, Hey, a lot of this stuff stuck out today. Uh, I'm not sure what to do, how to re-engage with the church. I've tried to go to churches cause I like that style, but I'm having a hard time connecting. Um, join the community, talk to other people who are going through that, reach out, talk to us. Um, again, check out East Tennessee, uh, mentorship, check out Rob Scott with the forgiveness link. They can help you work through some of those triggers and, you know, trauma as well. So that maybe a good mega church doesn't trigger you. Um, but whatever you do, if you're still following Jesus, we don't want you to re-engage, disengage from the church as a whole. We want to help you re-engage without being traumatized every time you step through the door. But we want you to know we're here for you. So if, if you need anything, reach out to us. Uh, we're always going to respond to as many comments and messages as we can. At the same time, there's sometimes more messages that we can respond to. And we're always going to put the community first. But we want you to know that you're loved. We want you to know that you're cared for, that you're not alone. Um, and uh, pastors. Multi-site megachurch pastors, we believe in you. Mm-hmm. We love you. We're praying for, hoping for the best for you. Um, let's put our heads together. Let's figure out how to change this thing. Because I don't think, as we finish out this podcast, I'll finish it this way. I don't think the multi-site megachurch is a failed experiment. But I think it will be. And if, I think we'll be we ashamed of what change. happened if something doesn't change. Yeah. But I'm excited to see what could change and what could happen. Hey, that's what Church Disrupted is about. That's let's right. disrupt the church like any other industry. Yep. In a good way. Get better. The multi-site megachurch, that was a disruption. Yep. It was helpful. Now it's time to disrupt that disruption. We need another pivot. Yep. Um, and when we do, it could be powerful. Yep. But until next time, we love you guys. We'll see you on the next episode of Church Disrupted.